3: Today's Wednesday, June 17th, 2020, coming up on Roland Martin Unfiltered. Breaking news out of Atlanta. Former cop who killed Rashard Brooks, charged with felony murder, and his partner has turned state's witness and will testify against him. What do you hear what the DA said? What they did to Rashard Brooks after he was shot. Senator Tim Scott joins Senate Republicans unveiling their police bill. That would discourage but not ban tactics like chokeholds and no-knock warrants not good enough says many african americans will have a police pound to break that down congressman elliott engel slams his rival jamal bowman as a phony democrat jamal bowen will respond to that right here and we'll talk about how to engage black men in the political process with the black male voter project also today Marks the 5th anniversary of the Emanuel AME Church Massacre, we certainly will remember the victims. And Juneteenth is officially a Virginia state holiday. We'll show you how Virginia native Pharrell responded. Plus, I know you've seen the social media of the ball and Auntie Curry. Well, it's not actually her name, but she'll join us right here today. Plus, it's Wild Not Wednesday. Comedian Jay Lamont is in the house. Plus, my interview with Norm Lewis about his role in Spike Lee's Netflix movie, *The Five Bloods. And what's up with Lawrence Cutlow actually saying there's no systemic racism? And Senator John Cornyn? Yeah, we got to break that down. It's time to bring the funk on Rolling Mark Unfiltered. Let's go.
4: He's got it. Whatever the miss, he's on it. Whatever it is.
3: Atlanta cop who fatally shot Rashard Brooks in the back after he turned and pointed a stun gun in his direction will be charged with felony murder and 10 other charges. District Attorney Paul Howard made this announcement just a couple of hours ago.
5: So these are the charges that uh, we have had filed a day signed by one of our Superior Court judges. Uh, these are the 11 charges against Officer Roth. Uh, the first charge is felony murder. This is a uh, death that is a, as a result of an underlying felony. And in this case, the underlying felony is aggravated assault with a deadly weapon. And the possible sentences for a felony murder conviction would be life, life without parole, or the death penalty. Now, uh, he's also charged uh, by, uh, in, in the arrest warrant with aggravated assault with a deadly weapon. and uh, this is a uh, account a, a charging him for the shooting of uh, Mr. Brooks and the possible sentence for aggravated assault is 1 to 20 years. The uh, second or uh, the third aggravated assault account is for the shooting towards or in the direction of Mr. Melvin Evans. Mr. Evans, was the person who was seated in the car. Do you have a picture of it. And so with Count um, Four uh, against uh, Miss Officer Roth, it charges him with aggravated assault for fi- firing the weapon uh, in or in the direction of Danielle Killians, uh, who was in the passenger side of the front seat of the car. Uh, next slide. Uh, Count five uh, is an aggravated assault charge. And this was a charge for shooting towards or in the direction of Michael Perkins. Mr. Perkins was seated in the rear of this same vehicle uh, at that time. There's a charge for criminal damage, for shooting into that vehicle. Also, uh, Officer Roth is charged with seven violations of office. Each one of those carries a one to five sentence. Uh, These are violations of his oath of office for the city of Atlanta, arresting Mr. Brooks for the DUI without immediately informing him of the arrests, Uh, shooting a taser at Mr. Brooks while he was running away, which again is a um, a violation of Atlanta's own SOP. Uh, Thirdly, excessive force when shooting a firearm at Mr. Brooks. And number four is the failure to render timely medical aid. Those are the four violations of oath. The eighth is for kicking Mr. Brooks, and the possible sentence for kicking Mr. Brooks is from 1 to 20 years. And we actually have a photograph of the... And these are the charges for um, Officer Brosnan... And there are a total of three charges. And the first charge is for aggravated assault. And this is for standing or stepping on Mr. Brooks' shoulder. Um, And uh, the possible sentence for this crime is 1 to 20 years. And this is a photograph of Officer Brosnan, who you can see to the right. And at the time of the photograph,
3: he is standing on the body of Mr. Brooks. Stunning detail by D.A. Paul Howard. Again, uh, former officer Garrett Rolfe, who fired the shots. 11 total charges, including felony murder, three counts of aggravated assault with a deadly weapon. Officer Devin Brosnan has three total charges against him, including aggravated assault and a violation of his oath. Let's go to our panel right now, folks, uh, to uh, break this thing down. Uh, th- this is just really, again, uh, a stunning, stunning uh, development here. And how quickly, how quickly the DA uh, moved. Uh, joining us right now is A. Scott Bolden, former chair, of National Bar Association Political Action Committee. Robert Patillo, executive director of Rainbow Push, Coalition Peachtree Street Project. Brooke Thomas, she is the host controlling our narrative podcast. Let's start with you, Robert. You're there in Georgia. Again, Paul Howard moves extremely fast on this one. You have critics who are saying, oh, this is all politi- politically driven. But the fact that we now know, as he described, the officer standing on his shoulder, kicking Brooks, saying, I got him. Trust me, that that tells a different story about what took place that, uh, that night uh, outside of that Wendy's
6: absolutely i think also we have to look at the uh, the structure of these charges as paul howard uh, articulated them they did not charge him with first degree murder uh, or any of the uh, intentional murders but rather felony murder so the only intentionality they have to show is the intention to commit the aggravated assault which was the firing of the weapon uh, uh, at mr uh, mr brooks so i'd say a far easier uh, thing to prove, where you don't have to prove intent, you don't have to prove malice aforethought. Um, all you really need to, uh, to show is that you uh, criminally fired your weapon at that individual, and uh, which caused his death. Which I think is a threshold which can be met. Uh, going further, uh, the way of showing that this was outside of the scope of his duty, outside of the uh, scope of any reasonable law enforcement activity, is the fact that they uh, they went through the pains of artic- or describing how they searched Mr. Brooks and knew that he was not armed, that there were no additional weapons. They uh, stated that the, ta- the taser had been fired twice uh, into Mr. Brooks, so they knew that he um, the taser was unloaded and not dangerous at that point. Uh, and, and Paul Howard made it very clear that they had no reason to chase him. They had no reason to shoot him. Uh, and then moving on to the additional count, well, the reckless nature of this officer, Firing his handgun where it went into a populated area, into a vehicle that had people in it, those are additional charges also because you uh, you cannot just say that there's collateral damage. You damage someone else's property, you put lives in danger as a law enforcement officer, then you fail to render assistance and you uh, assault a man as he is dying. Uh, I think these are the proper charges. And I think with a Fulton County jury um, in a city like Atlanta, he has a very good chance of getting convictions on many, if not all, of the counts.
3: Bolden, that detail is important, and it has to raise the question. We have seen numerous cases like this before. Why didn't DAs move this quickly prior to the death of George
7: Floyd? Well, every case is different, and all the facts are different, and the jurisdictions and who's being led at these local level for prosecutors is really, really important. Notice here, there were no lesser included in the charging document. That is, no manslaughter, no unintentional um, uh, 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 assaults or unintentional uh, uh, manslaughter charges, anything that, that, that sounded like that. This was personal. And, you know, Roland, I've talked about this with you before. The police and their training, they're using deadly force to compel someone to be handcuffed, to compel someone to stop running. That's not lawful. That's not legal. It's since Tennessee v. Garner, it's been illegal. And yet we see around the country, if you don't comply, these police officers, mentally and psychologically, they say, they get focused and say, I've got to get you to get on the ground. I've got to get you to put put these handcuffs on. And I can use any force, any deadly force to do so. You see it over and over again. And that just makes no sense whatsoever. That can't be their training. And if it is his training, who are we giving guns and badges to? And we got to retrain these officers because there's no room for judgment in how they're implementing this training in Atlanta and elsewhere. Uh, Brooke,
3: obviously, and I keep telling people this, the speed in which we are moving uh, since the death of George Floyd, uh, that is the catalyst for the kind of pressure on mayors, on DAs to step their game up.
2: Absolutely. I think that the, the part that I think public pressure has been playing in this and public outrage, it's not just coincidental because we saw with Ahmad Arbery, and of course that wasn't a police shooting, but it was a shooting that there was really no movement as far as charges for months with the same information. I think it was the two months with the same information that, um, They've, they've had the same information when they finally made a decision, had the same information, same video footage all along, but nothing happened until people saw it, the public saw it, and were outraged, and I think city leaders, government leaders, officials, prosecutors, they have been kind of focused on the police unions and what, how, wh- what what's their say in it, and now there's a whole other aspect, and it's the public and public outrage, and people are saying that they're not gonna stand for this. They're not gonna stand for injustice. They're not gonna stand for things to just be pushed under the rug. And it's proving to be stronger than what we're used to happening.
3: But that really is the most important thing, that again, when you talk about this pressure, when you talk about what's going on here, uh, and that is the public is saying, we can't accept these excuses. Look at, look at the George Floyd case as well. DA comes out on a Thursday, Oh, we don't. We don't. You know, we don't. We. You know, look. These normally take nine months to a year for whatever reason. Then the next day, charters are announced. Uh, once Keith Ellison, the Attorney General, uh, took over, uh, the bottom line is that DAs typically are are loath to prosecute police officers, and they come up with all kind of other things. And that's let's just being honest. That's the deal. But I think what you had here, the pressure of the mayor. Immediately firing this officer, to making her statement. Then she comes out on Monday uh, as Mayor keisha Lance Bottoms, announcing uh, new police uh, procedures. And again, if you're the DA, don't sit on this. The hell with the union. The hell with the critics. The hell with the other police officers out there talking about we got low morale. You you <laughs> are there to serve and protect the public. Yeah, but, but but Roland, let me tell you. No, hold Presque on, no, no was... hold on. That was Robert. Robert,
8: then Scott. Oh, I'm Robert. sorry. Forgive me. Go Robert. ahead.
6: Yeah. Uh, No problem. And I think we we, we always hear from people uh, that, you know, there's always this countercultural argument that voting doesn't matter, voting doesn't do anything. Paul Howard is in a re-election campaign that he has not been in in probably over a decade with Fonnie Willis, and they have a runoff coming up in August. And you, you better believe that the fact that he needs the people of Atlanta to be behind him and to vote for him in order for him to stay in office, this is why it's so important for us to exercise the franchise and get out there and vote, because when elected officials feel that Pressure from the people—they uh, are more likely to act. So the police union can uh, can march up and down the street and yell and do slowdowns and to, uh, threaten to uh, resign and mass all they want. But when, politi- when uh, our political leadership knows that the people are ready to boot them out of office, mm-hmm. the power of the people wins every time.
7: Scott. Yeah, this mythology that 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 bars or causes prosecutors to hesitate is that they don't want to second-guess the police no matter what, because if the police walk off the job, uh, our streets won't be safe. What you're seeing transformative now is that the people are saying that doesn't matter. Politicians who are run of office said that doesn't matter anymore. But the police misconduct and bad conduct drives that narrative counter to that mythology. And so, as a result, you're seeing now this transformation, not just with racial injustice, but how police interact with people of color. Black people and white people and brown and yellow people are seeing just how abusive the police are around the country. And that's making a difference. That's the difference we're seeing. Now, what do we do with it? How do we make it sustainable? And how do we we make it so that everybody is not just anti-racist, but everybody's anti-racism if you're an American citizen. That's where we got to get to. And if this is the seminal moment, so be it. But we got to get there no matter what.
3: Uh, folks, earlier today, uh, this comes on the same day when city Republicans unveiled their proposal to reform law enforcement in the United States in response to the national protest following the death of George Floyd. Now, the proposal, called the Justice Act, includes incentives for police departments to ban chokeholds, but does not end them more disclosure requirements about the use of force and no-knock warrants, but doesn't end them. And penalties for false reports. It also includes emergency grant programs for body cameras, makes lynching a federal hate crime, and creates a commission to study the conditions facing black men and boys. The person who led the Republican effort is Senator Tim Scott from South Carolina, the only black Republican in the United States Senate. Uh, and so that's what uh, he announced today. The news conference today, of course, there were a number of things that were talked about there, uh, and uh, he was uh, he was uh, he made it clear that ending police immunity was not one of those things qualified immunity that is an issue that many people uh, have been raising democrats in the house have been raising so what you now have is you now have two bills that are going on at the same time you have of course the democrats bill in the house and then you have the, the republican bill in the senate now we already know that mitch mcconnell has made perfectly clear he is not going to bring up the democrat bill what he wants to do is he wants to actually force a situation where Democrats in the Senate actually will vote against uh, that particular uh, bill. That's what uh, he wants to do. Now again, earlier in today, uh, Tim Scott took to the floor of the United States Senate to speak about this particular Justice Act. This is what he had to say.
9: has himself, they need to hear. And if we do that, we'll have the votes to have a real debate next week on this bill. But if we don't do that, we'll just talk about scoring political points and you'll go on MSNBC or CNN. We'll go on Fox and everybody will have their chatter and more people in in, in the communities of color will have less confidence in the institutions of power and authority in this nation because we missed the moment. We missed it five years ago. We don't have to miss it now. Mr. President, as you know, I am not really into theatrics. I don't run towards microphones. I've had a lot of them this last seven days. I don't talk a lot in conference because why say what other people are saying and they probably said it better. I don't demonize the other side because I know that in order to get anything done in this conference, in this committee, in this Senate, you've got to have 60 votes. And plus, if you have a grievance with your brother, talk to him. Talk to them. I've tried to do that. Mr. President, as I'm sure I've run over my time, let me just say that to the families I sat down with yesterday, they don't think working on body cameras is a token experience. They don't think sitting down with the president of the United States with their tears filling their eyes running down their cheeks, talking about their lost loved ones is a token experience. The law enforcement officers in that meeting with those families do not believe that having a serious conversation about police reform is a token experience.
10: They don't believe
9: that co-responders for the one man who was in the room whose son was having a mental episode, who was shot on the scene, he doesn't think this is a token experience.
3: Joining us right now is Reddit Hudson, founder of the National Coalition of Law Enforcement Officers for Justice Reform and Accountability, and Dr. DeLacy Davis, founder About of Black Cops issue, Against Police Brutality. All right, first off, Reddit, I want to start with you your assessment of this bill presented by Senator Tim Scott. He says oh. it's a strong bill.
4: Almost worked, man. in the context of police culture and police behavior you can't incentivize good behavior you have to punish bad behavior we've tried that over and over again here in missouri saint louis missouri where racial profiling statistics come out every year and they're horrific every year they threaten to take away state funding they threaten to take away any number of funding sources from offending departments they just don't give a damn um it really is unfortunate for him to describe a moment and then miss it so hugely as he has In this instance what he needs to do is understand that there is a remake that needs to take place right now we can't tinker around the edges which is what he's trying to do and describe that as some kind of significant institutional change and and for him to describe um restoring trust in our institutions this falls way short of that we have to have a serious remake of our entire criminal justice response our entire public safety response and it doesn't involve uh, trying to bribe some officers not to devalue black life. Delacey.
1: Yes, well, you know, when we give children candy to make them comply, it usually doesn't work. They simply want more candy. And so, I looked at the bill, I watched the press conference, they talked about training, duty to intervene, data collection with the database at the local level, and then a National Criminal Justice Commission. First of all, we've had the Kerner Commission, we've had the Marlin Commission, and then we had the Task Force on 21st Century Policing, which is relevant and, and there in place. So there's no need for another commission. Second of all, the data data collection. What are we collecting data on? We're seeing black bodies laying all over the street. And finally, the duty to intervene. Let's be very clear. In 2016, they had already revised the use of force the use of force policy in Minneapolis. In fact, the officers all there with Mr. Floyd had a duty to intervene, and none of them intervened, and then finally training. How do you untrain the racist? How do you take the racist and and white supremacist culture out of policing and somehow get a good cop? It's a horrible bill. It does not reform police. It is not accounting for anything, and it's not transparent. It does nothing. Um, The fact Reddit,
3: that it does not ban. (laughs) Choke- First of all, let's guys figure out. Let me know what's up with this microphone, because uh, I'm keep hearing this microphone that's moving. So please let me know. Um, I've got. Tell me what's going on with uh, no, no banning of chokeholds. Uh, no ban uh, when it comes to no knock warrants. Uh, in fact, earlier I saw this this uh, this MSNBC graphic that, that laid it out, and it was kind of like, okay, so we hope. They change. Yesterday, we had former Sergeant Cheryl Dorsey, the LAPD, where where the cops said, "Oh no, that wasn't a chokehold against Eric Garner." Eric Garner. I think she said that was like an uh, it was an upper body seatbelt type restraint. I mean, <laughs> I mean, th- that's the kind of stuff that they've said.
4: Yeah, it is utter madness, and you you nailed it, Roland. You you hit it on the head. What they're doing is positioning themselves. As, as much as Tim Scott tried to decry the political aspects of this and say that it shouldn't be politicized. That's exactly what they're doing when they introduce a bill like this. As you said, what they're looking to do is get a no vote on it from people who are more serious about addressing the real issues that face us as a nation right now, when we have a real opportunity to eradicate institutional racism and police culture and do it through legislation and movement and work on the ground. Combined together, we can get that thing done. But with with uh, senators like Tim Scott, Uh, doing the appeasement dance with police unions and the other folks who were surrounding Donald Trump when he signed that willful executive order that he put out uh, yesterday or the day before. This is what you get, ineffectual legislation that does nothing more than give them something to talk about, claiming they're making a real effort to address systemic issues. He couldn't even acknowledge. I mean, I was floored. Uh, A a good friend of ours, uh, Reverend William Barber, said he was speechless when uh, Senator Scott said that there is no systemic racism in the, in, in the country and it's not a racist country. When you're living that far away from reality, I don't expect you to be effective on real problems.
3: No ending no of qualified immunity in Senator Scott's bill, DeLacy. That is the case in the Demo- Democrats' bill. Democrats' bill, no new funding. Republicans, more funding in their particular bill as well. If you don't deal with qualified immunity, can
1: you actually deal with the issue? Absolutely not, because you can't get inside of a police officer's head when he or she says, I was in fear of losing my life. What are you going to say, that they're not in fear? You can't argue that point. It's, it's, it's a point that won't be argued. We know that the courts have extended qualified immunity to include police because that was not its original intent. I, I listened to Senator Shelley Moore Capito, and she said that this bill was pro-civil rights and pro-law enforcement, and there's no conflict. Well, therein tells you everything. Because if law enforcement is killing me, black and brown people, and leaving me dead in the street, and you're telling me this is pro-civil rights, it is inherently conflicted. And in the fact that they can't call it what it is, they can't talk about institutionalized racism, the fact that they want to continue to study, what their answer is, we want to put more money in for more police on the street, which is problematic. And the other side, and the community is saying, we want to, the community is saying, we want to defund the police, reallocate those resources, because the community is suffering when they call the police. So the people who are most vulnerable, fragile communities and those in need of law enforcement are actually being told now in this bill, we're gonna send you more cops and that means you're gonna be exposed to being killed more frequently.
3: Delacy Davis, Reddit Hudson. Gentlemen, we appreciate it, thanks a lot. Thank Thank you. you. Let's go to our panel, uh, Scott Bolden. Your assessment
7: of this Senator Tim Scott bill. Uh, They're just not serious they are not serious because they believe that the police are fundamentally good and that the bad apples are poisoning the reputation of these police officers and that they need their political support and votes from white conservatives and whites in rural areas who believe that the police come to protect and serve and that the police are basically good they just have hit a rash of um un un, un- um, unintended consequences of using deadly force. Just not the case. If you look at the Democratic bill, the Democratic bill says enough is enough, and these are the changes we need to make. They don't deserve, the police don't deserve these protections. And so, at some point in time, these two bills could come together, but the fundamental premise of each bill is so far apart that you're not going to get resolution until you believe that Black Lives Matter that if you are complicit in bad policing, then you are a bad police officer. If you don't change the standard from reasonable force to necessary force, you're not gonna stop these shootings. And if you don't put money into training and evaluating who you're giving guns and badges to, then you're not gonna get to the root cause of this. These are black and white and brown police officers who have this mentality. And how about annual training or annual evaluation as to whether you are a racist or whether you believe you're in combat against those on the street, the public, when you go to the black community or brown community? How about testing for that? Because you shouldn't have a gun and a badge and use deadly force simply because you don't have cooperation from a black man or brown man or woman on the street. This is nuts. You see these killings are gonna keep going on. See, after George Floyd, you'd have more killing. you had white people abused the peaceful protesters, haven't you? Something is wrong. They don't care. It's not stopping because of the protest. You're going to take legislation. You need that. But you also need to reevaluate how you're evaluating police officers before giving them a gun and a badge. It's twofold. You got to do both of them. And if you don't do both, the killing fields of Chicago, Atlanta, DC, New York, of black men by police is not gonna stop.
3: Bottom line is, uh, Robert, again, what people want is they want change. And what Donald Trump has made clear, he he does not want a bill that law enforcement does not endorse. Law enforcement is not going to endorse banning a chokehold, ending qualified immunity. They're not gonna simply endorse those.
6: Oh, well, look, we, Tim Scott has been put in an all but impossible position. Uh, he's in charge of drafting a, a bill, a compromise bill, that can get 60 votes in the United States Senate. Right now there are probably 500 bills sitting on Mitch McConnell's desk that have come over from the House of Representatives that he's never brought up to a vote, uh, environmental regulations, health and safety regulations, uh, all sorts of things that we need as a nation. Tim Scott is trying to draft something that he believes can pass and can go into law. So the, the question is, well, wh- uh, where, do, where do you make the compromises at? Where do you uh, go? What, uh, what can we offer? What can be uh, uh, created where we can get something that can actually pass and be signed into law and move us incrementally into the uh, into the direction of ending these practices? Uh, what we know is five years ago when these things started, you got an absolutely zero Republican response or zero Republican votes on this. Um, three years ago, Donald Trump was saying drag that SOB off the field uh, with regards to NFL players who are kneeling. So the fact that now we are even having the conversation and getting some form of legislation i think that is a beginning point to jump off from so instead of us hopping on tim scott let's find out how can we make his bill better how can we bring in more elements of the house bill and still get the 60 votes we need to um for it to pass otherwise we as tim well, to well, show, we why are we moving incrementally over. then robert why are we moving incrementally we're moving not incrementally because you have a party I'm sorry, last the last 200
7: years and you want to move incrementally Stop it. That's the problem with the Republicans. And the Democrats have said, we're not moving incrementally. There's enough empirical data and evidence and dead bodies to show where you need to move dramatically and reduce this power and get some systematic uh, change in the police department. Nobody's moving incrementally like this is some type of economic incentive program. People are dying. What are you talking about getting credit for incrementally incrementally moving? We need bold action and bold action now.
6: Scott, this is the issue you're going to run into, that it still has to pass a uh, Senate that is controlled by Mitch McConnell, where you have Rand Paul, who is blocking the uh, anti-lynching legislation, where you have... We're going to take care of him in November. If we can't have it, we're going to have it later. can't take care of in November, you can pass what you one have. Second. Down, one second, one second, Robert.
7: You're saying that black one, lives one don't one second, black lives incrementally, not, desist, not de- de- decisively. Stop it.
6: Enough is enough. Look, look, look. Stop it. Look, Scott, Scott, if the United States Senate had a composition like this panel, I would agree with you completely. But you have to have something that can pass and can be signed into law. Uh, uh Dr. King didn't get everything he wanted in 64. We didn't get everything we wanted in 65. The fact is if we have we to start get moving the ball we forward want or we're in marking 2021 time. We not One
3: second. Don't don't it's talk or, don't don't talk, don't you talk don't talk don't don't talk over each other. I can't hear either one of you. Brooke, I want to go to you. Robert just said that... Yeah, so ro- think- ro- oh, hold on, bro, Hold on. Robert just said that Dr. King didn't get everything that he wanted in 64 65. But you look at the Fair Housing Act. That was filibustered by Republicans for two years. And it was Senator Edward Brooke, the first African-American elected uh, since Reconstruction, Alpha Scott. Uh, and he was the one who fought his own party and broke the filibuster. At some point, Senator right. Tim Scott, Brooke, needs to stand up to his party and say, no, if I'm going to put a bill out, I'm going to put a real bill out. And these are the things that need to be in it. There have been times where Senator Tim Scott has said, this federal judge bridged too far and they withdraw the nomination. Senator Tim Scott can be far more aggressive in challenging his party. He has the moral authority and trust me, They will listen, but he has to be willing to actually do it, Brooke.
2: Yeah, he's not put in an uncomfortable position. He chose this position repeatedly. He is where he wants to be. It's his decision, it's a conscious decision that he's making to be the face of a bill that... I think we're talking a lot about how much good this does and not enough about does this cause harm? Because this bill not only doesn't really ban anything that's deemed problematic... Um, when it comes to policing right now but it also puts more federal funds into police departments at a time where experts and activists are saying hey we need to take at least some funding out of these police departments and put it into other public services that will better help serve our communities and choose other ways outside of violence to help keep crime down to help that- keep our communities safe. Right. So. Forget about how much this helps, or what little, or not getting everything. Does this bill cause harm? And I think a lot of people who are focused on how much money goes into policing, I think they would say yes.
3: This
7: is and again, the data is there with the dead bodies. The data is there. What else you got to study? Tell me what else you want to study about dead people and dead black men at the hands of 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 road cops, bad cops, violent cops. What else else do we need to study? More dead bodies. Stop it.
3: Well, again... We can
7: wait till 2021. We can wait until we get the Democrats Here's
3: here's the deal. Fine. Here's here's the whole piece. Allow the Senator Tim Scott bill to move forward. Uh, Let's see if it actually passes, if Democrats have courage to say, no, this bill is not good enough, and then watch the House pass their bill, and then if Mitch McConnell chooses not to bring the House bill up, Mitch, that's on you, and we remember that when he has, when he's running for re-election, come November, folks. Speaking of uh, running for re-election, uh, many Democrats, including Congressional Black Caucus members, are running to the aid of Congressman Elliot Engel, <coughs> who is facing a very challenging uh, race uh, in the primary from Jamal Bowen. Bowen is closing in on him, and he has done what a lot of folks do. Engel went on the attack, calling Bowen a fake Democrat and a bad educator. Hmm. I wonder what Jamal Bowen thinks. He joins us right now. But Jamal, first of all, um, you are a fake Democrat.
11: How long have you been a Democrat? <laughs> I've been a Democrat for two years now. I was an independent prior to that. And so when he calls you a fake Democrat, uh, is he essentially trying to say you're a Republican? I think that's what he's trying to say, yes. He's tried to connect me to John McCain uh, through some of his uh, negative mailers that he sent out. Uh, It's ludicrous. I mean, he's very desperate. You know, we're near the end of the race. Uh, The polls just came out today. We're 10 points ahead. So he's doing what many politicians who are up against the ropes do. Uh, They 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 try to slander. So that's where we are now. So, uh, bad educator.
3: Have you had any strikes against you in education?
11: No, actually, we we've been celebrated as a school. Uh, in in 2015, we What's, had the number what, one combined what is that? growth score average. What school uh, is that? Cornerstone, the Cornerstone Academy for Social Action Middle School. Okay. I'm actually the founding. I'm actually the founding principal of that school. I opened that school in 2009, along with parents, teachers, and students. Uh, and in 2015, we had the highest combined growth score average in, in the city. Uh, we had an A, grades of A and B when they gave out report card grades. And we're a project-based learning school focused on culturally responsive education, restorative justice, and trauma-informed practices. And the city and state keep lists of schools that, that are failing, and we've never been on that list. Once again, just a smear campaign.
3: Um, when Ayanna Pressley was running for Congress in Massachusetts, many CBC members came to the aid of the long-time, long-term incumbent, a white male same thing is happening here. Does it bother you that Congressional Black Caucus members are coming to the aid of incumbent Engel?
11: No, you know, I don't expect them to support me just because I'm black. I expect them to support me because I'm the more viable and better candidate. Um, And that has been shown uh, throughout this campaign. Listen, Congressman Engel's been in office 31 years. He's lived in Maryland for 27 of those years claiming his home in Maryland as his primary residence for over a decade. I've been here working in public education for 20 years on the ground with families who have been most disenfranchised. Uh, so that's what's exciting about this campaign. That's why, that's why so many people have supported us, including Senator Sanders, Senator Elizabeth Warren, Congresswoman Ayanna Presley, and Congresswoman Ocasio-Cortez, just to name a few.
3: When is the primary? June 23rd on Tuesday. All right, then. Well, we certainly appreciate it. We look forward to seeing what happens. Jamal Bowen, thanks a lot. Thank you, sir. Uh, Thank you very much. Robert, I want to start with you. A lot of, you know, look, politics are politics. Incumbents want to protect incumbents. There are a lot of people who are angry that Congresswoman Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez was running or supporting candidates who are sitting running against incumbents. He is, and I I, I remember um, Congressman Hilliard years ago when Artur Davis ran against him, who was, he, he lost, he was very upset. Uh, we see that um, um I think David Scott in Georgia uh, is facing a runoff as well. Yvette Clark, congressman Yvette Clark, is facing a very tough race as well. Look, he, he, here's my deal here, and i'm very be- I'm very clear on this, Robert. No politician, black, white, Latino, Asian, Native American doesn't matter. They do not own a seat and if if someone challenges them, guess what? You run. And that's that's the way it should be. Uh, So when people say, "Oh my God, uh, how dare they run against?" No, you don't own a seat. It's the public's
6: seat. You're absolutely correct. I think the power of incumbency is one of the primary reasons that we get so little done uh, on the state, uh, local, and national level. People will think that they live there. That is their only job. If you ever want to have fun, go walk around your state house or your city council uh, or even Congress and ask people how the hell they get paid. What do they do for money? Because often uh, legislating and being in power is the only means to an end that they have. And they believe that the only point of being in office is to stay in office. That influences how you vote Well, how you vote, that influences how bold the legislation uh, you put up is, uh, as Scott was saying in the last segment. So I do think that we have to make sure that we are uh, giving uh, challengers a fair chance and a fair shake. I ran for a state rep back in 2012 um, against another African-American, and the level of hate and vitriol that you get as that insurgent incoming candidate is amazing to the point of people tearing down your character. Because my last name is strange, they did robocalls saying I was a white Republican running in a Democratic district. So these types of dirty tricks are very common, and we do need to work on pumping new blood and new oxygen into the room, new ideas, more bold plans, bold action. Uh, just look at the way that Ayanna Presley and uh, Casio cortez and Omar and Talib and that freshman class have pushed the progressive agenda in Congress in ways that we haven't seen in generations. So it's important to get that new blood in there.
3: I, I don't see what the problem is, Brooke. Look, look, I get it. Nobody wants to have to sit here Folks want to have want to be safe. They don't want to have to go out there and campaign. But anybody gets to run.
2: And It's so funny because people are um, always thinking a little too late. Politicians think a little too late. They they get really frustrated when it comes election time. But there is you have actually a better spot, a better position, being the incumbent, being the person who's in office, being the person who has the ability to create change, meaningful change. Right, you are the face of it. You you have the spot right now, and so they he could have been focused on doing things that would encourage voters to vote for you, uh, like with the position that you're in. It's almost like they're there, and the the focus becomes just staying there. But yep. that's not yep. how you do
3: it. Yep, absolutely. <laughs> but look, but look, I mean, look. I'm sorry, Scott. I mean, you you you've run, and here's a deal. You know what's a trip to me? The people who are in Congress, most of them. They ran against somebody.
7: <laughs> That's right, they did. But but having represented a lot of corrupt elected officials and government officials in my legal career, let me tell you what happens. They get comfortable. They get entitled, or they feel entitled. They go out and their their people stand and they be called they're called honorable and they trade votes and they're power brokers. They don't have a lot of money, but they got power. And then all of that comes into play every two years or four years when you run for office, and it all says, I'm entitled, how dare you run against me? And they lose sight of the fact that it's a political process, that anybody can run against you. And, yeah, if you don't toil in the fields, if you don't nurture those relationships with those voters day in and day out, if you don't deliver the bacon, because it's still a political process, yeah, you can get beat. You can get beat bad. But the accoutrements and the the accommodations of being in office, federal office or local, is overwhelming. And it's intoxicating. And they either commit a crime or they lose an election because that becomes the dominant force in their, quote, public service versus public service over personal benefit. Well, I t- I've seen it happen over 30
3: years. Well, I'll tell you what, uh, I would love to see some folks do lose, in uh, the like, folks okay. like Matt Getz of Florida. Uh, today, the House that we're debating, the police reform bill, let's just say things got a wee bit tense between Getz and Congressman Cedric Richmond of New Orleans. Watch this.
12: I'm not interested in studying Antifa. I'm not even interested in studying the Klan or sovereign citizens right now. Because that is not the imminent threat that black men face on a daily basis. And right now, too often, it is law enforcement. Those who were sworn to protect and to serve. And so all we're asking today is to deal with that. I don't mind dealing with other pieces of legislation. I don't mind dealing with other issues that you all may have. And, and what I don't want to leave this... Conversation with and why I'm speaking now instead of later is because I don't want you all to leave here saying, Well, we didn't know. We didn't know that's how you felt, Cedric. I want it to be crystal clear, and I will give you the benefit of the doubt that it is an unconscious bias that I'm hearing, because at worst it's conscious bias, and that I would hate to assume from any of the people on the other side. Will the gentleman yield? Sure.
9: I appreciate your passion. Are you suggesting that you're certain that none of us have non-white children? Be- because you, you reflected on your black son and you said none of us could understand. Matt,
12: Matt, stop. I'm not about to get sidetracked about the color of our children. We're talking so about said, black kids. So I reclaim my time. You said that... You- I reclaimed my time. I but know... you want the discussion? I know that... The gentleman, there, you want the
8: gentleman reclaimed his time.
12: I said I claim, reclaimed my time. I already know that there are people on the other side that have uh, black grandchildren. It is not about the color of your kids. It is about black males, black people in the streets that are getting killed. And if one of them happens to be your kid, I'm concerned about him too. And clearly I'm more concerned about him than you are. So let's be clear you're, about you're
11: that. Claiming, so you're claiming you're more I am concerned
12: for my family than I do? Who in the hell
1: do you think you
11: are? If the, the gen- shoe fits, listen,
1: you don't know how much we can about our The gentleman will suspend Kick dog, dog You should take those words down. I'm talking you about dis- your family and love your family.
12: The gentleman we, will suspend. It? The gentleman will suspend. The time belongs to the gentleman from Louisiana. Cedric, would you yield? Was, was that a nerve? Yes. Yeah.
3: He was so
2: calm.
3: That's great. Oh, that's what I'm saying. Was that a nerve? Did I hit one? (laughs) Did I hit one, Brooke? He said, I kicked dog, go holler. I hit dog, go holler.
2: My my grandma. I enjoyed it.
3: (laughs) See, sometimes you got to go there, Robert. Sometimes (laughs) you got to go there.
6: Well, I think the issues that Matt Gates, is one of the number one trolls in Congress. Um, The fact is that when the coronavirus outbreak was just started, when we had a chance to nip it in the bud and stop it from becoming a uh, countrywide outbreak, that ended up killing over 100,000 people and it hit 200,000 dead by October. He wore a gas mask on the House floor to make fun of the idea of wearing masks. This is what he does. I I don't understand how the people of his district have continued to send him back when he embarrasses them over and over again. Maybe he's been drinking again uh, because he has that DUI in his past, but I don't know how he can maintain his seat in Congress uh, putting on theatrics and shows like this when we have important issues where he simply does not take seriously.
3: Easy, the same way the white folks in Iowa kept sending Steve Carey came back that's yeah, what it happened it's
6: performative yeah
3: that's, that's how, what the that's deal what is how it's been that's the deal is all right you All gotta go to a break when we come back we're gonna talk about uh how to get more black men out to vote in november also all right come on single shot come on come on you move slow come on come on uh you got that that's first that's first okay second of all y'all seen the video of the sister who's been hooping all her trick shots. Yeah, we're going to have her on the show uh, as well. And the second hour, uh, comedian Jay Lamont. And, and, and what's up with these Republicans? Uh, oh, no, there's no systemic racism. We heard Sarah Tim Scott said earlier. Where in the hell are they living? That's next. Rolling Mark Unfiltered. Back in a moment. All right, folks, the folks at seat.com have a great, great deal of these amazing headphones right here. Love the color, being black and gold, being alpha. Sorry, Scott, they don't make them in crimson and cream. Uh, again, 360-degree, 4D headphones. Uh, really, really uh, great headphones here. Barry Spiel. she is the uh, founder, the architect, the inventor of these headphones. Uh, and, uh, folks, again, uh, you know, 360-degree, 4D, great for gamers, Bluetooth, for music, all that good stuff. All you got to do is use the promo code, folks, RMVIP2020, 2020, RMVIP2020. 2020. Uh, go to seek.com, C-E-E-K.com. That's seek.com, C-E-E-K.com. And again, the promo code, guys, where is it? rm vip 2020 it's rm vip 2020. all right folks the black uh, 2016 a little more than 50 percent of black men voted compared to 57 percent in 2012 and the portion of black men who reported they did not vote increased from 23.5 percent to 27.5 percent well these numbers show is a disassociation of black men from the elect process. And in fact, uh, the Black Male Voter Project wants to change that. Joining me right now is the founder, W. Mondale Robinson. Mondale, glad to have you on the show. It's always a pleasure to be in your presence. How are you? Great, man. So what's the deal? What what the hell's going on? Why, why are black men checking out of the process?
13: Well, the process checked out on black men a long time ago, Roland. You know that. We talked about it in 2012 when you and I met in Charlotte at the DNC convention about the fact that voting is a habit on
14: our resources on it, and no one is spending resources on black men therefore black men are not participating at levels of other demographics and it's tragic because we know the more black men that participating in electoral politics the more progressive policy we will pass so right now we're in a space where nearly half of the black men in this country that are registered to vote already registered to vote have not participated in five consecutive elections again that's not a critique of black men that's a critique of the lack of resources spent on us we are out here uh, creating a space where black men feel comfortable putting their faith back in this system. And the way we're doing it is we created a new way of campaigning. It's called BMP, editorial uh, Approach, where we center the black voter, the black male voter, um, instead of the electoral process and or the candidates themselves.
3: Uh, first of all, if you have a set of headphones, I want to put those on because actually you were breaking up there with your audio. One of the things that we're dealing with is also that was that was a, a nine point gap between black men and black women uh, who went for Obama versus Romney in 2012. That was a 13 point gap between black men and black women who went for Donald Trump uh, and Hillary Clinton. The Trump administration—they believe—they've been saying that they believe they can get 15, 18, as high as 20 percent of the black male vote uh, come the uh, come November. That's why they're touting—they keep touting the First Step Act and also economic policies as well. Uh, do you believe, uh, or what do you believe is the reason why these black men uh, are finding Donald Trump to be appealing?
13: They're not, rolling. This this is, uh, just like everything else Donald Trump says, baseless. Donald Trump cannot... Donald Trump cannot win, uh, that... that high of a percentage of black men. Here's what he can do, though. The Democratic he, he Party not 30? investing right. in black men, not investing in black men, will cause black men to stay at home. That, too, is a loss for the Democratic Party and progressive candidates. Here's what we do know. We know that talking about presidential campaigns will not motivate black men to go to the polls. He can't
14: make Donald Trump a big enough boogie monster black men, as polls are in lines long enough to vote. So what we do is we don't center presidential it. Um, when we talk to Republicans. What we do center is local issues that are important to black men, and we know once they get to the polls, black men will vote a uh, democratic he's also democratic candidates. What we also know is Donald Trump didn't do anything special when certain people black men. That number falls in the range of black men always vote as it pertains to Democratic, I mean, to other candidates. If you look back, all the back to the 70s, Donald Trump only did better than two uh, presidential candidates on the Republican side. Donald McCain and Mitt Romney. That's it. So it's nothing special about Donald Trump and black men. Black men don't fuck Donald Trump. We get it. We see what he is. We, we spot races before most people. <laughs> hold tight
3: hold on Mondale. your audio literally is getting progressively worse uh if you have me- if you if you got some headphones or uh, audio y'all let me know uh fix that so y'all let me know when you fix that uh i'm gonna bring in robert scott uh, and brooke right here uh robert um mm-hmm. i mean i i can tell you in 2016 <laughs> i had a very direct conversation with hillary clinton with huma abedin Marlon Marshall backstage at Congressional Black Caucus Foundation AOC Phoenix Awards dinner where I said point blank. I said I I can't even get your black surrogates. I'm trying to get your black male surrogates. What the hell are y'all doing? I'm like, do y'all see what's going on? Dude, it was awful. It never actually got fixed. And so, what I hear from black men is I don't have, I don't see anybody come and talk to me. And what they're seeing right now is all this democratic energy focused on black women, black women, black women, rightfully so because they turn out in, in high numbers. But black men saying you
6: ain't talking to me. Well, it's a chicken-and-egg issue. The reason black women can turn out in higher, in higher numbers is because you have someone's campaigning um, directed and pushed directly in their um, direction. So if you have that exact same amount of energy and uh, money uh, pushed towards black men, then you'll probably see similar turnout numbers. The truth is, Democrats do not know how to con- uh, talk to black men. They don't even know what the issues are of, of black men in this country. And if it comes down to a question of, am I going to be appealing to black men or black women, they're going to choose black, uh, black women every time because they believe that's the the uh, more fruitful uh, field to be plowing. So I think we have to uh, we as black men need to be putting out our issues, putting out our own position statements, letting us know what the un, uh, unnegotiable points are. Uh, all of us are, are, aren't going to prison so pr- uh, criminal justice reform might not be our number one issue. Uh, all of us uh, aren't dealing with uh, many of the things that I think are reflexively what candidates talk about when they think they're talking about black men and all always during the Democratic primary many of the candidates being very uncomfortable talking to black men about black uh, black male mm-hmm. issues uh, without offending other groups. So I think they, they're going to have to sit down as Walter Rodney's and have some groundings with my brothers and talk to actual men in the community, find out what the needs are and figure out ways uh, to, arti- uh, to articulate policy that will promote that and then we will turn out for them.
3: Uh, Mondale, what's, what specifically are the issues? What do you think that should the candidates should be talking about to target black men, to speak to black men, to interest black men? Mondell? Yeah, Roland, can you hear me? Now we got you. Go ahead.
8: <laughs>
13: yeah, so black men, uh, there are three issues all over the country that we found out that are motivating the black men. We need to address criminal justice reform in a real way, not the First uh, Step Act. We need to also talk about putting trades back in school. That's an economic issue. And
14: we also need to talk about politicalities. Those three issues move black men, and Donald Trump or Joe Biden can't get enough to make black men be motivated by them. But we need to be supporting local candidates and local organizations that are supporting and pushing black men to do this. And we can't do it in a transactional nature for we're only talking about November's election. We need to figure out how we create faith
3: back in the electoral process within the black community. Black All right, Mond- <coughs> Mondale Robinson, we appreciate it. Thanks a lot. You bet. All right then, folks, again, Black Male Voter Project. Uh, go online and check it out. Five years ago today, the white supremacists went to Emanuel AME Church in Charleston, South Carolina prayed with the people there for Bible study, and then opened fire, killing nine folks. Today, we remember the Honorable Reverend Clementa Pickney, Cynthia Graham Hurd, Susie Jackson, Ethel Lance, Reverend Depayne Middleton, Tawanza Sanders, Reverend Daniel Simmons, Reverend Sharonda Singleton, and Myra Thompson. Uh, It is shocking, uh, Brooke, to think that that took place just five years ago. It seemed like just the other day.
2: Yeah, it, it is shocking. It's still always really, really sad to see someone, a white supremacist, went into a church. And you know, I always think about the segment, um, there was a segment on Fox News that I saw it was clipped and it was like, um, they were saying, they were trying to argue a couple of anchors that he wasn't a white supremacist, that if the motivation was just to kill black people, he would have went into a basketball court or a rap concert or something like that, As if historically, you wouldn't just like always find the most black people at a church, at churches everywhere. Um, but that, you know, it was so intentional and just even the way we talked about it, it's still, we're now still in this space where people are arguing that it's so physically important to them to have these racist heroes, um, have monuments. These people, they didn't even live in the same time. They know how awful these people are. We are still... In that space, and also at the same time still in that space within five years where white supremacists walked into a church and killed nine people, nine people who have families, nine people who were just worshiping the Lord, um, nine people who were welcoming to him. I don't, I don't know what to say about it.
7: Scott. You know, I think uh, about just pure evil uh, that day. It was so overwhelming from an emotional standpoint. And then you had the family the next day in court at the hearing, and they were still religious and emotional and forgiving this young man for his his just uh, awful acts. And then I realized that he was alive, and those nine people, our brothers and sisters, were dead, and that he should be dead. He should not have lived. The police... Uh, took him to McDonald's afterwards in almost solidarity with him, silent solidarity. I thought about how if he were black and the congregation were white, that all of them would be dead and that black killer would be dead. And not to take away from the power of their death or the strength from their death, but just how unequal justice is in America. So I thought about that. I thought about when he got convicted, he got convicted at the federal level and state level, but that he survived those attacks. He survived those attacks. And so just a really solemn moment. Uh, we should pray for them, honor them, remember them, but make their death stand for something. And these are the moments, the George Floyd moments, that we're standing for, but we're standing for them too. They died so we could stand for this moment that we're experiencing in America. Robert?
6: 10 a.m. on Sunday remains the most segregated hour in American life. Uh, the silence of the white church on this killing and in remembrance of this killing has been deafening, um, not just uh, contemporaneously at the time, but since. Uh, we always hear from the religious right about attacks on Christianity, attacks on the church. You know, is there a gay Teletubby? It's an attack on the church. Uh, you're mm-hmm. saying happy holidays and merry Christmas. It's an attack on the church. This was an actual, literal, physical attack on the church. The body mm. of Christ was attacked by uh, pure evil, by the manifestation of evil in uh, in human form. And we have not heard and we have not seen the rallying of the major uh, white religious congregations and denominations around the black church to find out what we can do uh, holistically to root out white supremacy. Clearly, we know that it was a white. There's pictures of the guy with Confederate flags. He has manifestos ready. We know that he is a white supremacist, but the white Christian conservative churches have yet to confront white supremacy in their own ranks. And they have been definitely silent on this issue. I think that tells us more about where we are when we talk about being a post-racial American than anything else. But you would think that the church
7: would be a unifying force between black people and brown people. You would think, just if you think about their concepts and precepts, and religion, and faith in God, and Jesus Christ, and the, the Christian values, and the uh, Ju- Judeo-Christian principles, and yet still, it cannot overcome racism between those two groups. Why do you think
3: that is? Easy. It can't over. It can't overcome racism because the very races are sitting in the pews mm-hmm. and you also yep. have these right. white church leaders who are in denial yep yeah and, and, no and I, to, I, and to, I agree with to, to I point
6: And and to Roland's point, remember, during slavery, we would yell out in the name of Jesus to rescue us from slavery, and uh, our masters would yell out in the name of Jesus to give them the strength to beat us. So uh, they have a different interpretation often of the exact same scriptures. They have a very different interpretation of what their duty is and their roles are as Christians, and I think we have to confront that uh, from a textual standpoint. I I don't believe you can call yourself a Christian leader and not condemn and fight against and work to root out white supremacy in this nation, and that many of them have buried their heads in the sand. Uh, and the mother, AM, uh, mother Emanuel, uh, Amy Church, or the white supremacists themselves.
7: So
3: allow me, allow me to pick up on that particular point right there. You just use a very key phrase that I think is por- important, and that is they have buried their heads in the sand. Mm-hmm. The Los Angeles Times uh, did a big story where black folks in Hollywood begin to talk about their experiences black folks began uh to share what they've dealt with what they've gone through and, and the difficulties uh that they have faced same thing same thing has happened uh same thing has happened uh, in, uh, the, in media the other day, ABC, um, uh, there was a story that was done on Huffington Post about Barbara Fedida, uh, essentially the number two person at ABC, uh, who allegedly made some race, uh, some, some racist comments, and now she's on administrative leave, and then they announced there's an external investigation. What we're seeing, the Pittsburgh Post, Pittsburgh post Gazette. Uh, where uh, they have really uh, a rebellion going on among their staff uh, when it comes to pulling a black reporter off of covering the riots. We've seen Bon Appetit, Condé Naz, We've seen Anna Wintour come out uh, with her comments. We've seen other people resign as well. See, while we are in the midst of all of these things happening, you know, there also there has to be a reckoning that takes place in mainstream media. The Corona Commission report in 1968 that studied the race rise in 67, said the media played a huge part in that. And I think what, is off, what has happened is that part of the problem is that nobody reports on media. No, nobody really reports on media in the same way. Media outlets right now are asking questions about this company and their staff and this company, what they're doing, and, and this company and their statements. But what are these media companies doing? The, the, the reason that, that that brought my attention is that And and I'm linking this to to Mother Emanuel because um, uh, I was on Twitter and go to my iPad. I saw Jason Johnson tweeted this. A friend just reminded me today is the fifth anniversary of Mother Emanuel's assassination. There's been so much black death from police, vigilante violence over the last month. I'd forgotten. I wrote this NBC News piece about the friend I lost that night. And the piece was from five years ago. But you have to ask yourself the question. Hold up. Here's Jason Johnson writing about a friend, uh, Reverend Clemente Pickney, who he worked with, who died in Mother Emanuel. Same day where Paul Howard, of course, is bringing the charges down uh, there uh, in Georgia. Why is Jason Johnson not on the air at MSNBC? Four months ago, Jason Johnson was uh, taken off of the air. Comments that he made with regards to uh, Nina Turner and Breonna Gray working on the campaign of Bernie Sanders. And there were other people who said, okay, he shouldn't have made those comments. He immediately apologized. Four months? Four months? He's still off the air? We're in the middle of the coronavirus pandemic impacting black people. We're dealing with George Floyd. You're dealing with somebody who is a professor at an HBCU, Morgan State, who used to write for The Root, not write for The Griot, who is one of your more visible faces. We saw him consistently throughout on the air when it came to uh, the impeachment. But what's the deal? How can media demand transparency from other companies, but the media won't be transparent? Why won't MSNBC executives say, what's the deal with Jason Johnson? Did he piss somebody off? Does he still work there? Clearly he does. Why isn't he on the air? I'm raising that point because media must learn to do what they demand of other people. When you watch these news shows, they will demand, where's the transparency from Trump? Where's the transparency from Congress? They'll demand those things. When we at NABJ released our statement, I'm Vice President of Digital, when we released our statement about ABC on Saturday, we said, do an outside investigation and make the results public. I believe, folks, in this moment where we're talking about do black lives matter, mainstream media has to answer the question do senior black media executives matter? Do black anchors matter? Do black reporters matter? Do black contributors matter? Do black commentators matter? See, media can't be demanding of other people what media won't do themselves. And I still say, part of the fundamental problem that we have in this country as to why we really haven't properly addressed a lot of these issues, it's because mainstream media looks the same as most of these advertising agencies, as most of these corporations, as Congress, as most of these places where we are essentially non-existent. Now, you might say, Okay, yeah, but Jason Johnson is a commentator. It's been four months. How long must the person be on the sidelines and nobody say anything? This is critical because if our voices are important, don't they need to be on the air? And I want to see more than Jelani Cobb. I want to see more than Eddie Glaude. I want to see more than Jonathan Capehart. I want to see Ellie Mistel. I want to see other brothers and sisters. I want to see more black men commentating on television. I want to see more black men and black women being legal analysts and political analysts and economists and uh, breaking down these various issues. I am not satisfied with what we are seeing. And let me be real clear. I was on MSNBC on, on, on Saturday, Saturday and Sunday. In fact, it was shocking. I've been on the last three weeks. I, I can't tell the last time I was on MSNBC three consecutive weeks. This is not about me trying to get a job because I've been fighting with black folks for a long time. What I am saying is this here. Every single mainstream media corporation in America, including NBC MSNBC, CNN, Fox News, ABC, NBC, CBS, all of them must, must be far more transparent and honest about what's happening on the inside because largely white men are running these organizations and they are deciding who gets to go on and who doesn't. All I'm saying is, the brother been on the sideline for four months. You think it's long enough? All I'm saying is, you got black folks in your operations who ain't been promoted in 10 years. Is that long enough? The reckoning is happening in the advertising industry, in the fashion industry, it's happening in the athletic apparel in- industry. It's time for it to happen in the media industry because enough is enough. Because if you dare cover on the air saying Black Lives Matter outside your building, they damn sure, ma- sure, sure should matter on the inside of your building. Got to go to the break. We come back. Systemic racism. What's wrong with these Republicans? It's all over the place, media included, and politics, because that is America. That's next. So a lot of y'all always asking me about terms, some of the pocket squares that I wear. Now, I don't know. Robert don't have one on. Nope. Now, I don't particularly like the white pocket squares. I don't like even the silk ones. And so I was reading GQ magazine a number of years ago, and I saw uh, this guy who had this, this pocket square here, and it looks like a flower. Uh, this is called a shibori pocket square. This is how the Japanese manipulate the fabric to create this sort of flower effect. so I'm gonna take it out and then place it in my hand so you see what it looks like. And I said, man, this is pretty cool. And so I tracked down, the. it took me a year to find a company that did it. Uh, and so uh, they're basically about 47 different colors. And so I love them because, again, as men, we don't have many accessories to wear. So we don't have many options. Uh, and so this is really a pretty cool uh, pocket square. And what I love about this here is you saw uh, when it's uh, in, in the pocket, you know, it gives you that flower effect like that but if i wanted to also unlike other because if i flip it and turn it over it actually gives me a different type of texture and so therefore it gives me a different look So there you go. So uh, if you actually want to uh, get one of these Shibori pocket squares, we have them in 47 different colors. All you got to do is go to Roland forward slash pocket squares. So it's Roland forward slash pocket squares. All you got to do is go to my website uh, and you can actually uh, get this. Now for those of you who are members of our Bring the Funk fan club, there's a discount for you to get our pocket squares. That's why you also gotta be a part of our Brina Funk fan club. Uh, and so that's what we want you to do. And so it's pretty cool. So if you wanna jazz your look up, you can do that. In addition, uh, y'all see me with some of the feather pocket squares. My sister who is a designer, she actually makes these. They're all custom made. So when you also go to the website, you can also order one of the customized uh, feather pocket squares uh, right there at rollinessmartin.com forward slash pocket squares. So please do so. And of course, uh, at goes to support the show and again if you're a Brina funk fan club member you get a discount this is why you should join the fan club all right folks texas is the only state official holiday of juneteenth well guess what they now got some company uh virginia now says it's gonna be juneteenth an official holiday in the state that was once home to the capital of the confederacy pharrell a native of virginia was there today for the announcement
12: It makes sense that Virginia officially recognizes this this holiday in this powerful way. And that's because it's been overlooked for so long. This is our chance in Virginia to lead by example. This is our chance to lead, to truly embrace the importance of Juneteenth and treat it as a celebration of freedom that black people deserve and African diaspora deserve. Worldwide, by the way. This is about proper recognition, it's about observation, and it's about celebration. This is a chance for our government, our corporations, and our citizens to all stand in solidarity with their African-American brothers and sisters.
3: Juneteenth, of course, is the day that uh, uh, General Granger, Gordon Granger, went on the shores of Galveston, Texas in 1865, notifying slaves in Texas that they were free. Well, Texas, led by the late Congressman Al Edwards, uh, made this a, a state holiday. It's also called in some places Emancipation Day and Freedom Day, celebrated annually on June 19th. It became a state holiday in Texas in 1980. It's going to be a paid day off for all Virginia State employees. 43 other states in the the District of Columbia commemorate or recognize the day, but not as an official holiday. Uh, Brooke also is happening. All these different companies out here now, yeah, you got the day off. I mean, the NFL and, and, uh, like, I mean, I saw all these companies. Boy, matter (laughs) of fact, ABC announced yesterday they doing a Juneteenth special. I mean, black black <laughs> folks are involved. It's in
7: It's in to Brooke, be black now. Brooke, you there? Yeah, no. Go I, ahead.
2: I'm interested. I hope that there are a lot of black people involved over at ABC, because I'm excited to watch it, and they just had a great special on Black Wall Street. Um, so that's great. Also, the holiday, finally, better late than never, but we celebrate... In a weird way, like we celebrate a lot, a couple of holidays, the 4th of July, um, Thanksgiving, that weren't so great for a large group of American people, right? And we celebrate those holidays because they're about the beginning of this country. It is about time that we celebrate human beings.
3: Uh, It's just simple to me. but, but, But bottom line, Scott, again. Boy, I mean, everybody and their Mama. All of a sudden, it's got like, okay, holiday Juneteenth.
7: Gotcha, y'all off. Everybody off? <laughs> <laughs> I got a, I got a uh, memo today. All personnel from my global managing partner celebrating Juneteenth, and ended his uh, statement with, "We believe uh, that all Black lives matter." In bold, and I got to tell you big law firms, corporations, professional service firms, accounting firms, you name it. Um, You're not in a million years, but I think that while they may have believed that, they're going a step further and saying, we're going to have a zero-tolerance policy for racism, not just being anti-racist, but having zero tolerance for it. You should take that to your community, which is the next level of eradicating Mm -hmm. racism from America. And so I think this is hope. I hope this is George Floyd. The moment gives us not only the hope, but the implementation. And if we do that, we can eliminate generational racism, make it unacceptable. But it's going to take some tough, fearless conversations with people that don't look like us and with each other to to have a zero tolerance for racism. I got buddies who use racial slurs and I've corrected them and that they cannot be at my house if they want to use those terms. And uh, I've made them think about it. And uh,
6: they've agreed. But it starts with each and every one of us, black and white folks, for that matter. Robert? And and Roland, uh, two points. One on the point you were making about the media uh, and the lack of diversity. I put together this research study on blacks in the media in 2000 and... Hold on, hold
3: on. Pull it back. Pull it back. We can't see it. Pull it back. Now we can see it. Go ahead. Go ahead.
6: Yeah, 2008, I put together a research study on the inequities of blacks in the media. Most of the people in that picture are still there because they have done no efforts, no work at, re- at diversifying, mm-hmm. no efforts at really building up the back uh, back half of the newsrooms. it's still, when you look at the interns and the bookers, and people who are gonna be working their way up to the news desk in 10 years, they're almost all from the same lily-white Ivy League mm-hmm. institutions. And now 12 years after I put that study together, we are, uh, the numbers are frankly worse. Uh, and on, on the Juneteenth holiday, I like the gesture, but we're going to start turning or enforcing field orders from the, the Civil War. Enforce Sherman's Field Order number 15 and give me my 40 acres and a mule. Tell me when they're going to start <laughs> distributing that and putting that stuff into, uh, into activation. And that's when I'll start getting excited. I appreciate the day off and the acknowledgement. Sherman's Field Order number 15 is what we need to be fighting for.
3: There you go. <laughs> All right, folks. What's interesting here is that um, you got people in power who are saying, oh, systemic racism, oh, my God, it doesn't exist. Here's Larry Cutlow on CNBC.
2: On this idea of creating an equal V, uh, you said, I don't believe there's systemic racism in the U.S., w- which I found surprising given the moment that we're in, Larry, and given the economic data, which has only exacerbated the inequality we've seen. Post COVID 19. Can you just clarify what you meant?
8: Well, I don't believe in systemic racism. I, I think the American system is the best system ever devised for mankind for history. We are liberty. We are equality. We are fairness. We have come a long way in this country. Now, I will grant you, there are some people uh, who may be racist. I will also grant you, in the police, there are some bad apples. But my view has always been folks have good hearts in this country and folks do not work in the basis of discrimination and folks understand the need for equality and opportunity. Here's a thought. President Obama, the first black president, was elected twice, and he got 79 million white votes. 79 million in two elections. Now, therefore, I find it hard to understand Something called systemic racism. Now, can changes be made? Absolutely. Uh, President Trump is going to put out an executive Come on. order.
3: Come soon. on. Oh. I'm going to need to, I'm going to need to woo Larry. When Thurgood Marshall became the first African American on the Supreme Court, racism in the criminal justice system did not just magically disappear. When Douglas Wilder became the first black governor elected since reconstruction in Virginia, racism in Virginia did not just magically evaporate. You do understand that when Deval Patrick became the elected governor in Massachusetts. Racism in that state did not just disappear. The reality is this, Larry Cutlow, is that systemic racism means that the system has been built and infiltrated and it has been running on Racism. Larry, you are supposedly a financial guy. When did black people start showing up on Wall Street? Larry, what's the percentage of African Americans who get venture capital dollars? Larry, what's the percentage that black people are managing money? The federal, almost $1 trillion pension fund. Larry, how many black Fortune 500 CEOs are there? They're less today than they were a decade ago. This is the thing about these white guys who just can't stand being challenged on systemic racism because they are the system. Here's Renita Gupta, CEO, Leadership Conference on Civil and Human Rights, talking this week to Texas Senator john cornyn about this very issue
10: senator cornyn in the united states of america it's a little difficult to disentangle those two and i don't think there's an institution in this country that isn't suffering from structural racism given our history i think the goal of taking action in this moment is to recognize that there are things that congress can do to end the killings in our streets, to provide law enforcement with greater training support, to make national standards on things that, frankly, should have been national standards years ago. Uh, this is the time to take action, given the pain on the streets and in communities. And this is just the reality of, of what communities have been experiencing. But there well, is- Ms. Goodtow,
15: we don't. I don't have very long to ask questions. So let me ask you, you changed the, you changed the phrase from systemic to structural racism. What does that mean? That means every thing, every institution, every person in America is a racist.
10: It means that there is bias built into existing institutions and the policing. You, there have been any number of courageous police chiefs that have spoken to the history of um, systemic racism in policing. as Well, do, well. You,
15: do you think systemic or structural racism can exist in a uh, in a system that? that uh, requires individual responsibility or do you think it's one or the other
10: i think every american institution has been kind of shaped by these forces and our goal is to do what we can as policymakers, as advocates to take that out and to provide and to try to fight it in the modern day iterations that it appears
15: well you do you believe that basically all americans are racist
10: i think we all have implicit bias and racial bias yes i do wow and i think that we are an amazing country that strives to be better every single day it's why i went to government to make a more perfect union well I,
15: you lost me when you uh want to take the acts of a few misguided perhaps
3: Say that right there robert I love when white folks wanna play that game. Are you saying that all are racist? Are you saying that you're stuck on stupid?
6: I I think what 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 the problem is, is that I think all white people need to take one semester at HBCU, uh, just so they can understand the nomenclature, just so they can understand what we are talking about. The foundation of America is racism. The foundation of America is racism. If it was not racism against the American Indians, uh, if it wasn't for that, then there would be no nation. If it wasn't for the racism and enslavement of Africans, they would build no nation. If it wasn't for the conti- all of our uh, institutions, our government, it's enshrined into the Constitution, the three-fifths compromise. Uh, it's enshrined in our court system. We have Dred Scott and Plessy versus Ferguson. It's enshrined in our businesses. Every part of American society is built upon layer upon layer upon layer of racism. So until you realize that and recognize it and admit to it, then you cannot fix it. Because what Cornyn was talking about, this idea of individualism, individual values, no one is saying that every single individual in America is racist. What we're saying is by sending uh, black children to uh, less funded schools, you give them a worse chance of succeeding in life. By having more police officers patrolling black neighborhoods, making disproportionate numbers of arrests, you make it more difficult to gain property value in those communities because uh when you're looking at the influx of drugs there is not one single poppy field um in the united states owned by black folks there's no black person growing cocaine anywhere that is coming through the border that's coming to america we're not guns are not being manufactured right. in the black community they just show up here so you have to look at the systemic nature of these things if you want to climb out of it if you want to say that it's just the individual then you're missing the point
3: I just get a kick, Brooke, out of these people who act as if... No, no, these things just don't exist. We don't... The Russell Building in Washington, D.C. The the United States Senate Building in D.C. is named after one of the most virulent races... Ever to serve
6: in Congress,
3: where is he from, Robert?
6: But I forgot where. Your state. I know. <laughs> I'm trying to Russell. I have to look. I'm looking out a window and I can see off in the distance Stone Mountain. That's how entrenched it Wait. is in this country. No, 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 no no, 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 no. The Confederates. I want to go to Atlanta. The Senate building
3: where their offices are are located, is a monument, Brooke, to one of the greatest racists in the United States Senate history. Right, but this is not about ignorance.
2: This is intentional. And so we can do all of this educating and pointing facts out and doing that, but where we are right now with certain people and those two videos that we just saw back-to-back, that's about intent. It's not about ignorance. When we focus on education and let me explain and let me do this, it is about intent. Because it is, you have to make a decision to feel like you want to center yourself as a white person, as if you are an expert on how black Americans move through the world every day in this country. That's, an intent, that's a decision that you have to make to, be, to, to say, I'm, I'm going to talk over you. I'm going to center myself. I'm going to talk over to you. I'm going to tell you how it is from my white perspective. Yes. And I think that that matters at all in a conversation about how black people experience this world, how black people experience racism, something that they have to know, they don't have the possibility to fully understand as a white person. And so even being willing to just talk over people of color, uh, everybody, I say black because I'm a black person, we're talking about blackness right now, but um, you, that's a, That's not about ignorance. Right. And also, they do this thing that's very manipulative about um, being called a racist is more offensive than it is actually being racist. And that is because that comes from somebody who's not willing to be, do the work. See, that Brooke- comes from somebody who's not willing to change. That comes from somebody who doesn't even really care how they behave. They care what you say about them. And right. we're seeing that when it comes to police officers, and- too. A lot of good police are talking about they're so offended. Right, right. right. By and that's how and that's- this makes how people are speaking about police officers as a whole. And they're mad at the civilians on how they talk about them and And, not necessarily the so-called bad apples who are doing the work that actually makes them look bad. And 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 so if somebody from a friend, somebody I care about, say, hey, you're a jerk, of course I don't want to be called a jerk, but I also don't want to harm my friends. So I am going to figure out what I'm doing that's jerk behavior because I care about that. I care about how my friends perceive me. This, these people don't care. Well, here's the, here's the deal? It's here's the deal. Here's the deal. The fact that they don't care. Here's the deal. It's just real simple. It, it, it's care. real simple.
3: It's just real simple. And that is this here. There's a reason why I rarely call people racist, because then the problem is the conversation be g- goes into racist, not racism. You no, know, what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna talk about what you do. I'm gonna talk about what you say. I'm gonna talk about exactly what happens. And so, uh, if I was sitting there and he was like, "Oh my God, there's exists," and I would have said. Yes, look at this room. Let's look at your staff. Let's look at all staffs. Let's look at this here. See, my deal is we're not going to sit here and fight over races. all the races, not racist. No, I'm going to show you the numbers and the data, and then you're going to have to defend those numbers. So that's the piece there. Y'all, I got, I got it, real, I, real quick, like, literally, you got 20 seconds, seconds, and I got to go.
6: Understand, John Cornyn got to the Senate in 2002 when he was there. Strom Thurmond was still in the Senate until 2003. Don't act like you don't know what racism is.
3: Bottom line is, Richard Russell served the United States Senate for 41 years, and the Russell Building is a monument to a violent racist. Folks, thanks a lot. I appreciate it. Folks, how many of you have been seeing these videos circulating on social media? Play it. You
16: want proof?
8: again? Come on, bro. Let's I go,
14: let's go, let's we let's go, let's go, let's go,
0: let's go. Hey, hey. Oh, my God. Yo, I'm sorry. Understand. y'all gonna learn that.
16: Catch. Get it! Don't play with me.
3: A next challenge. What about this one?
16: Do it at WNBA. I am in the
3: sport. All right, guys, that's the wrong one. We already played that one. All right, come. There you go. All right, y'all. <laughs>
16: And they're like
3: swimwear. You should have given me something hard. I'm going to do it with a shoe
16: off. Leave the car
8: running, please,
16: nephew. Keep
8: it moving. I got you. I
0: got you. Yeah! Cash.
2: Cash.
3: How's she going to get back in the car and take a damn nap? She is Dr. Chantel uh, Trematier. I hope I got it right. A former WNBA right. point guard. And she also is at uh, Auburn uh, University. Uh, it was so funny, y'all. So I was trying to find it. I was telling people I need, I want to get on the show. And then I realized the Auburn Tigers, they're blocking me on Twitter. Maybe because I'm a Texas A&M <laughs> graduate. I was talking some smack and we beat that ass. That's probably what <laughs> happened. And they blocked me. So, Doc, all right. So w- w- where the hell these, 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 these challenges start? And all of a sudden, they're going mm-hmm. crazy on TikTok. And now they're calling you Auntie Curry.
16: <laughs> well, you know, associating Curry might be a little too much uh, right now. But you know what, Roland? I was I was just, um, I said, you know, what is this TikTok thing? And, and started throwing them up a little bit and, and uh, minding my own business. Uh, and then some folks, some young men started coming after me, coming for me on on uh, TikTok saying, oh, you can't do that with a WNBA bar. You can't do it with a men's ball. And and then other commenters were saying, don't come after auntie. Don't come after auntie. And so I had to come after him. And, uh, and so, you know, I just started having fun with it. And, and uh, you know, folks started challenging me. And I'm, I'm trying to let them know, don't challenge me because I'm going to make the shot. And then I'm going to come for you after I make it.
3: Okay, so people are asking, they're all on YouTube, they're on Facebook, like, what's the deal? They're like, okay, were, they, were these edited that you actually hit these shots on the first try? You got people who are saying, that's ah, that's I can't believe she hitting these on the first try.
16: Well, I'm going to say this. A, a few of them, most of them, yes, on the first try. Um, if if I don't make a shot in three tries, then I'm, I'm sitting my tail down because uh, I'm trying to do a trick shot. I'm not trying to be out there practicing so you know I'm done practicing so uh yeah they're 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 done pretty early on pretty early on so it well, I mean obviously what's also got
3: people talking uh is is, is this attitude you got this look you throw the <laughs> swagger
16: <laughs> and you like don't challenge <laughs> me right you know I, I'm trying to be like you roman <laughs> I have absolutely I have absolutely no filter you know I, I grew up with 14 brothers and sisters so I have absolutely no filter. I'm going to come after you. If you come after me, I don't care how old I am. I don't care how old you are. If you old enough to speak and get smart, you old enough for me to come after you, period.
3: <laughs>
16: well, the video
3: that I thought was hilarious when uh, they when, when they, were in the store uh, and folks were like, oh, I knew she was balling when she palmed that ball. they like, I knew something <laughs> was coming. I mean,
1: I, you, you got to be
3: cracking up at the responses from people.
16: You know, well, one, Roland, I was mad that when I palmed the ball that I dropped it. Uh, so, usually I can palm the ball pretty well with about three fingers because I got unusually big hands. But, you know, I, you know, I've been looking at some of the comments. I, you know, I can't read all of them, obviously. You know, I appreciate all the love I'm getting, but, but uh, you know, the comments, both good and bad, you know, I figure they say more about the person commenting than they do about me. Um, so, you know, I just take it with a grain of salt, and, and I'm going to have fun regardless and, and, and
3: keep doing it. Now you spent how many years in WNBA? 4. Four years uh and yeah, I, I I was read yep. I was reading a story where your uh your college coach at Stanford. I think it's Stanford, right? I And Auburn. At Auburn. Auburn. No, no, it was, yeah, the coach co- a college coach um Yeah, I was I was seeing her tweet and she's like, "Yeah, no, what she recruited right. you. The Stanford coach recruited you,
16: right?" He was well, her sister is the head coach at Stanford. Gotcha. There you go. And they, she and they been, were like, Yeah,
3: she's been balling for a long time. <laughs>
16: this ain't, like I said in my first video in the rogue, this ain't new to me. <laughs> this ain't new to me. You know, they they didn't have they didn't have social media when I was playing. They probably would have kicked me out the league, uh, for that, but but uh they didn't have social media. But, you know, I'ma talk trash and and always do. And and, you know, I said one of the biggest things, Roland, that uh you know, that happened, except is that, uh, you know, Barack Obama followed me, and, and somebody asked me, would, would you challenge him? I said, I'll talk trash to him, too. It doesn't matter. Okay, hold on. I see that you about
3: to crack up laughing, so this is a true story. So Obama's, ah. Obama, straight up, Obama's president eight years, okay? And, oh. uh, all, er, all, all, every time, all, all, we gonna get together, play golf, get, eight years. Yeah. He ain't never called me to play golf. Now he mm-hmm. called all these other people and Am- trade ambassador Ron okay. Kirk. I see, I see videos and photos of him playing golf with Anthony Anderson and my man Alonzo Morning, all my people. And now mind you, I'm left-handed and he left-handed. Right. And I'm sitting there going, okay. and folks are like, well, you know, Roland, if you ever get a chance to play with the president, you know, uh, you know, you gotta let him win. I was like, nah, that's some bullshit. I said no we play. Right. I said no nah, that <laughs> I said they ain't that they ain't how that well I come from. And so uh, right. I, I made it clear. I said, "Oh, I said if I play golf with Obama, I'm going to do exactly what I do with everybody
16: else. I'm talking trash." Yes. Yes. It don't I, matter. You know, I mm-mm. I'm going to try and beat your ass regardless and <laughs> and and that that that's who I am, anyways, and and uh, you know if, if Barack wants some of that, look, now we're on a first name basis. Barack, <laughs> if, he, if, he, if he wants some of that smoke, he can do that too. But uh, you know, it, it's been fun. It's been fun. Right now, I'm trying, but I, I posted a video today. I was gonna shoot one backwards, um, but then I stopped right before I shot it because I said I'm not I'm not posting another video rolling until somebody give me a blue check. <laughs>
3: there you go. Now here's the deal. Here, all right. So first of all, I got lots of people. Uh, I got lots of people here, uh, on YouTube, and they're asking, how old is she? What, what, what does she eat? Okay. Uh, she beautiful, <laughs> her whole age, they like, she young. Uh, they, they got questions for you. Well, my,
16: you know, my fault about cussing, am I allowed to cuss on here? Yeah, it's called unfiltered. Oh, uh, okay. Well, uh, first of all, all y'all who who saying, you know, uh, she look good for her age, she old, uh, kiss my ass, because, uh, I am old, uh, but you ain't gotta say that I'm old. But yeah, I'm 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 the big fifty right now. So uh, I just I just try to live right and, and, and eat 50, right. You said 50? Five-zero, five zero. Five, zero I, Cause someone
3: over here said six zero. I I want
16: to make sure that so they, we can we can I, check them. Right, they they gon' don't give me ten more years. Good God, <laughs> no, I'm not. The hair is blonde. It's not gray. It's blonde. It's platinum blonde. Don't play with me. <laughs> So have you been? Uh, and I
3: okay. So I, I'm on your Twitter page, and I keep seeing all these references to Ellen. Are you trying to get on, or were you on? You trying to get her attention? What's up?
16: No, you, you know. I, at the end of the day, you know. I, I mean, I've always been a fan of Ellen, and and you know, my mom, who passed in 2017, was a huge fan of Ellen, um, and so I've always wanted to go on the show. Just a lot of people say like our our personalities uh, are are alike, and so. You know, I want to, to be honest, I, if I get on Ellen and she says, nice to meet you, I'm going to say, uh, you're welcome. Uh, <laughs> you know, she, and I don't want to have fun with, like, I, Ellen's somebody I think me and her can hang out, like, and just, you know, whatever, or feed some gorillas or, or whatever. <laughs> we could, we could hang out, but she's not give me you, any if love if, yet. If you but, go on
3: Ellen, you got to go on dancing. You got rhythm?
16: Come on now. Look, I, you, I, you, You're going, you're going to, you gonna put me up in front of all your uh, what the I, calls and, I don't and, uh, assume. All your fans? I don't assume I can dance. I I got moves. Wow. Come on. Google my now ass. I ain't gonna get on there. First. Google my but ass. But look at the end of the session, Yes, that's what I love right there. <laughs> I'm gonna get on and dance. Uh, I'm a, I'm you know I'm not Twitch. I'm not gonna get on there like Twitch. But but I'm a yeah. They not gonna make fun of me for dancing.
3: <laughs> I mean, but this this still has to absolutely crack you up. Uh, and I'm telling you, yeah. I, I, what happened was I kept seeing Auntie Curry, Auntie Curry, Auntie Curry. And I was like, what the hell are they talking about? Then I see the clips, and I was like, okay, I don't know who this is. And then I'm, because I ain't on TikTok. N- never will be on yeah. TikTok. Okay? Uh, and so I'm looking over here. Then I'm like, okay, y'all. I said, yeah, we got to get her on the show. And so I start I start putting I put this up. And I'm like, black people can find anybody real quick with black Twitter and black Facebook. Uh, and then somebody right. gave me uh, your Twitter feed. Uh, and so, uh, surely, uh, your stuff is just blown up. And, and, and I would think, you know, how this, how this thing goes, uh, that, uh, you know, granted, we got COVID going on right now. Uh, but uh, I think that surely WNBA or even the NBA should be giving you a call and say, hey, we got to get you back in the mix.
16: Uh, well, you know, I'm too old for the the WNBA. No, 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 I'm, no. I'm, I'm, I don't mean I'm,
3: playing, but I'm talking about times uh, or so, something, you know, yeah. that's fun and interesting.
16: You know, I told, I, I tried to tell them, I tried to tell my friends, well, first, before I say that, I'll say this, Rowan. You, you got some fans because you had a lot of fans that were DMing me saying that you were trying to find me. <laughs> uh, so, so, yeah, you got the love out there. But uh, as far as, you know, the WNBA, I told them, I said, look, I could be, like, if you put Stephen A. Smith and Charles Barkley into a female body, that's what I'ma be. Except I'm not quite as obnoxious as Stephen A. Smith, but, like, that's what I would do for the WNBA game. Like, I mean, uh, you know, on the anchor desk or whatever, I would just act up. Uh, but I, I don't know if they ready for that.
3: <laughs> All right, so, so here's, okay, since you said that. So I'ma, I'ma send this video to my boy, Dave Roberts, who's a senior executive yeah. at ESPN. And Dave is actually over the morning shows, including First Take. Uh, yeah, I would love okay. to see them put you between uh, Stephen A. and Matt Kellerman and have it out. Uh, and, and, and then, Aww. and then what I will do is I'm gonna send an email to Adam Silver as well as my man Mark Tatum, he a Kappa, who's the Deputy okay. Commissioner of the NBA, uh, and, uh, and see what we can do. I mean, I know a co- I know a couple of people.
16: Okay. Well, I know you know a lot of people. <laughs> Uh when you when you out there, can you tell Twitter Instagram give me a blue check? But but Roland, I hear through the mix that, that you a Sigma. Is that right? No, nah, somebody lied their ass off. You see this
11: rich? Re-
3: oh, uh, uh uh. Oh, you uh zoom in right here. Zoom in right here, Anthony. Oh yeah, I Z- see. Zoom it. in. I see. It. All that that's yeah. that, that's number black. Oh, okay. That that's black and gold, baby. Life member.
16: Okay. Okay. Alpha. Okay. 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 Ain't no. Hey.
3: Okay. Ain't, ain't no. First of all, I ain't never met a sigma under fifty-five, so I ain't. I can't be no sigma. That that, that wasn't even no consideration. Child, please. I might. <laughs> I might as well be non-Greek if that was my only choice. <laughs> I love my sigmas out there, but y'all know I ain't lying.
16: I'm a zeta, so okay. I don't know why somebody said that, that you were a frat brother. But you know, it's all love for the black and gold for me. Too. It's all
10: good. But it's, it's,
16: you know what? To be honest, you know what, I, I, at the end of the day, you know, you were talking about, like, COVID and, and all the crazy injustices going on in the world. And and at the end of the day, I understand, you know, I'm i having fun, but I understand that this is bigger than me. And and if at the end of the day, folks want to, whether they want to make fun of it or laugh or whatever, if for 60-second video, they can forget what's going on and, and, and kind of just smile, then, you know, I'm, I'm doing my job. So I'm just having fun with it. I'm going to keep going. After I get my check, and, and we got some, we got some good, we got some good challenges coming up.
3: All right. Well, look, we're looking forward to it, uh, and of course, uh, I can't wait for the sports season to resume so my Texas and them Aggies can handle them Auburn Tigers.
16: Yeah, 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 we'll see what they can do. We'll see what they can do. And if I ever get on in front of Stephen A. Smith, I'm, I'm, I'm shouting you out because Stephen A. Smith might retire after I get on Owen.
3: Oh, oh, I'm gonna have to send that to him. All right, Dr. Chantel, <laughs> I appreciate. it. Thanks a lot. Thank you. Appreciate you. All right. Take thanks a lot. All right, y'all. Auntie Curry. Great conversation right there, y'all. It's Wild Out Wednesday. We had way too much fun with her. Come right now, my man, comedian Jay Lamont. What's up, Jay Lamont? Rolling,
17: rolling. Are you there, brother? I'm here, my brother. How you doing? Man, I'm hanging in there, man. I just got to do this. He's rolling. I like that little theme song, man. That's hidden right there. Well, that's in Vogue. You know, Terry Ellis
3: and Cindy Heron did that. Um, uh, they, they, they got with the producer. They did that, man. And uh, they gifted that to me uh, when we were at man. the opening of the Smithsonian National Museum of African American History and Culture. And they said, Ro, they said, what you do for the
17: culture, are we giving you
3: this song to use for your show?
17: Man, I gotta do one for you one day, man. I gotta do one. Maybe I could do one for you like an Isaac brother, you know. Oh, Rolling,
16: yeah, da oh yeah. And then bring Ernie.
17: Oh, but maybe that's too much. I don't know. Maybe that's too much.
3: <laughs> oh yeah, I don't that, know. That, I don't know. that that might be it. Now you you sent me a text. You
17: got a new song out? You do songs. Well, you know what? what you got. Well, a lot of people, a lot, a lot of people don't know, man. I, I used to be in an R&B group. You know, music is my background, so I was doing music first before I got into comedy. And so that's, I sent you a song of one of my singles that I put out last year. It's called Celebrate, man. It's been big all over the UK. It was in the top thirty R&B chart over there. So it's funny because a lot of the folks that I, when I get hits from folks in the UK, they only hit me up as a music artist. They don't, they don't know that I do comedy. So it's like I have a different identity over that way. So I'm working on a new album right now. I've got an EP out that's streaming on all outlets, iTunes, CD Baby. So you got to check it out. So I wanted to send you that song, man. I think I think you'll like it. So so basically, in the UK, that's like your Vegas name. Well, you I guess you could say. I guess you could say. They, yeah. they, all, they all know the comedy stuff. They know the music stuff. Yeah. Yeah, they know the music stuff, but they don't know the comedy stuff. But, but one thing I can say about you, man, I've known you for a long time, man. Boy, when you see, I watch you all the time. Let me just let everybody know, I, I'm I am a true Roland Martin fan, and it's not nothing to do with the fact that I know you. But you know what? You should have a commentary segment called "But the Reality Is," <laughs> because I noticed how many times you, you know, yeah, I, I know your viewers know that. I I think I must have counted you saying that maybe 17 times today. But the reality is, but but no, right. I want you all to hear me. Hear me right now as I unpack this, okay? <laughs> oh, I said, yeah, he' about to go there. He said, let me let me get my offering plate. You' about to preach. I know you're not. I know your wife is the preacher, but see, let me let me just take you there, okay? Right. She and got I, she I, got I just... papers. I'm bootleg. I just want to get to an organ and say, "You better come on, rolling." But, 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 but the reality is, if you could just say it like that. But the reality is, when you say that you are racist, but let me unpack this. Let me see. That should be your. That should be the title of your segment, right there. Let me unpack this. But the reality is.
3: Well, we actually, uh, we actually call it uh, like, like when I really go in. Yeah. We, we call it a deconstruction. Uh-huh, yeah. Oh yeah. So I, oh yeah. So so like when I when I had to get in Kanye's ass when he was in the White House, I said, right. me, I said, uh, let me deconstruct what Kanye <laughs> said. So when you hear, when you hear me say, I'm about to deconstruct this, yes. what that yes. really means is I'm about to get in that ass. I'm about to actually break it and just
17: and just separate it and just throw that suck out. And you do, and you do. That's why they, that's why they hate you, because you keep it real. See, that's one thing. See, that's the pandemic right there. See, truth is a pandemic for them, because they don't want to hear that truth. That's why they don't want to hear what you got to say. That's why—that's what I love about you, because, see, when you deconstruct it, see, that means you, you're taking the building, the, the blocks, you're taking the blocks down, and then unpacking it. And then, but the reality is. That's, that's what kills me when you say that, but the reality is. I love it. <laughs> well,
3: oh, there are two things. There are two things that I, I yeah. break down. First of all, I want to say what the reality is. Now yeah. when you really really if y'all if y'all really listen this is when you know I'm about to straight get in somebody's ass when I say get ass yeah. when I say first of all <laughs> Like I'm, I'm giving you warning that the the yeah. heat's about to come when I say first of all Uh-huh See right there when you yeah, hear first uh-huh. of all you should sit here and uh gird your underloins because it's coming <laughs>
17: <laughs> it's I'm ready.
3: I actually I had uh um at uh, Alicia Key's black ball several years ago, uh ran Uh-oh. to uh Terrence Howard and we I was talking to Marvin Gaye's uh 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 ex-wife and, and Terrence said, you, you know what? You know what I really love about you? He said, man, is it, is when you he said we uh uh when you start laughing, I said, oh no, no, no. I said, I said, let me help you what the laughing is. Yeah. I said, when I'm debating. I did this with Glenn Beck on CNN. Y'all, uh-huh. Jay, when I say that boy walked off that set like he had got run over by a truck, he, he said some nonsense, I start laughing. Oh, my God. And he goes, oh, I, I'm so glad you're so dismissive. I said, no, 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 no. I want you to go ahead and finish your comment. I'm gonna deal with you when you done. <laughs>
17: And you set them straight, man. That's why, that's why they're so scared of you. Oh, he wouldn't. You set them straight. Okay, straight up. The
3: producers loved it. They wanted us to debate the next day. He was like, nope. I said, dog, I'm available. 12, we can re- pre-record it. We go live. He's like, nope, nope. He told him, I will never. This is fact. Like, he said, this was in 2008. He said, I will uh-huh. never go on CNN again unless it's just me and the host. And you, oh, wow. No, he would not, he would, Glenn Beck had me on his show one time. He wouldn't even have me in the studio. He had two guests next to him had me by the camera down the hall. Oh, my God. But that was the first time. After I laid that ass out, he never had me back. But Glenn Beck was like, he told him, I will not go, I ain't go. forget I ain't going on with him. Yeah. I ain't going yeah, on can't. with nobody. And I was like,
17: say, bro, let's roll. They cannot handle you, man. They cannot handle you. That's what I love about it, man. But the reality is. See, you had to let it know, but the reality is. You see what I'm saying? When You know what? You need to get Obama on, man, or something like that. Or if you can't get Obama on, get get me on. Because I heard he's gonna he's gonna be going back out to help uh Joe Biden, I guess, for his campaign. I guess. So, so first
3: of all, I look, I only interviewed Obama one time during the eight years of his presidency. I look, they were a little scared of me too. Uh, what? I, yeah, no, he didn't even do an exit interview with me, uh, him or Michelle. But I told him, I said, I, I, look, again, no. So you gotta understand, I'm black.
17: Right, right. Period. I, I'll take, I'll take his place. Don't so, worry, if you can't get him, I'll, I'll stand in for. So, for so, minutes, so,
3: yeah. so, 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 let's see you go and stand in. So he's about to do a fundraiser for Joe Biden. Uh, so President Obama, uh, why are you raising money for
17: Joe Biden? Well, Roland, here's the thing. Here's the thing. Let me let me be clear about this as far as the, uh, like what you just said, that you only um, interviewed me one time, and I know it was hard, but I felt the need that I had to do what I had to do in order to do what I can do by doing what I will do to help Joe. Joe has a lot to learn. He has a lot to learn as far as how to talk the talk and walk the walk. You see what I'm saying, Roland? See, see I got I got him. I'll do that for you. You know, bow, wow, wow, yippee yippee-yay. Throw your hands in the air, wave them like you just don't care. You know, not that he's going to say that all the time. You see what I'm saying? <laughs> so, uh,
3: Donald Trump is really been running you down a lot. Oh
17: my God, I don't know what I don't know what to say about him. I just don't know what to say about him. The one thing that I will say, I wish and wish that he would just keep my name out of his mouth, because. One one day, one day soon, I'm going to come up on him and I'm going to pimp slap that ass. I'm going to pimp slap him so hard. I know Michelle doesn't want me to, but one day I will, and we will throw it out. I I, I just don't understand him. Uh, we've got to get him out, and the only way that we got to get him out is to vote. Don't boo. Vote. That's all you got to do. Oh yeah, up in the heezy for sheezy for shizzle my nizzle. That's what we got to do. <laughs> <laughs>
3: oh man, Jay Lamont, always happy what's here. Up? Gotta have you. Got to have you back. First man, what's your cash out for the folks watching? that want to show you some love.
17: Hey, man, if you want to show me some love, God bless you if you can. My cash app is dollar sign human iPod. That's my nickname, Roland. They call me human iPod. So dollar sign H-U-M-A-N-I-P-O-D. That's my cash app. And, and, and Roland, I'm going to let him know if you want to get my live DVD. Go to my website, vjlamont.com, T-H-E-J-A-Y-L-A-M-O-N-T.com. That's my DVD and my music streaming on all outlets. Just type it in, J Lamont. Y'all, he got, he got D V comedy DVD. He got
3: music. Uh, I'm doing it all. He, he, he probably selling some candy bars for the basketball I team. You, man. So, you know, do what you got to do. So, Jamie... I need money. Uh, I understand. I understand, man. Yes, Lord. Glad to have you on the show, brother. All right, bro. All right, good to see you. Thanks a lot. Look forward to having Congrats. you back.
10: Oh, all right, man. man.
3: Wild Night Wednesday, always fun. Hey, folks, Friday, of course, Netflix debut Spike Lee's The uh, Five Bloods, a fantastic movie. Here's my interview with Norm Lewis, a huge supporter of this show, Check it out. I absolutely enjoyed this film, The Five Bloods, and the consistent theme that in my conversation with, or, with, um, with Delroy, of course, um, with Clark, is that this movie really is about brotherhood and the love between black men.
18: Yeah, yeah. It definitely t- it t- it definitely like signifies that, and you don't see that. You don't get a chance to see that ever in film and television, and it not be something that is a negative. And uh, so, the dynamic that you saw uh, that on the on the film with us is the dynamic that actually was happening off stage too. Um, Spike knew how to cast us, and he knew what he wanted from all of us to make these characters uh, come to life.
3: Well, and the thing is, the thing that again, in watching it, um... is that when you talk about brotherhood, brotherhood doesn't mean we all get along all the time. Right. But what it means is, and this is what I... in when I chatted with Delroy, that there that there is a force that exists that no matter what you're going through, no matter what your personal issues, no matter what the arguments, that we're gonna come back together and keep it together And that's why I love that whenever something happened, uh, where where y'all put the hands in the center, where you and all were touching and connecting, because that was saying, no matter what, we're going to all still be here together. We're going to get over it, but we we cannot lose this bond.
18: Right. And I think it was uh, elevated uh, and intensified by the fact that we were going through this war and having to depend on each other so heavily, because it's life and death. It wasn't you know, like we were playing tennis out there. We were out there fighting for our rights, fighting for... We were actually fighting two different wars. We were fighting for America, but we were also fighting some of the soldiers uh, that were there, too. Uh, Once we started uh, signifying who we were with the DAP, did they talk about the DAP when uh, you talked to Delroy and and Clark? Right, that's
3: what I'm saying. And that was that 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 theme that... that I I didn't get into it with them, but go
18: ahead. The, uh, The DAP actually stands for dignity and pride. And there were uh, different uh, daps for the different units and for different uh, platoons, for different parts. You could tell wh- what unit someone belonged to by the dap that they did. And it was, you know, it was one of those things that, that, uh, you know, we tried to be very authentic with it. It took us a long time to get those. Like, I think we had to learn <laughs> like five of them. And they were a little complicated. God, and Spike would always say, yo, give me, give me some dap, or like, let me see the dap. And so you didn't know. So you always had to be ready. So every time we would get, every morning we would get up, even at breakfast, we would give each other some dap, some sort of form of dap, just so we could be ready for Spike. <laughs> but that was, that right there, you know, Though doing that showed pride and, like I said, dignity and pride. But it, some folks didn't like it over there. Some of the white officers did not like that. And in fact, if they caught you doing it, you might get arrested mm. for doing the dap. So they were fighting two different wars, you know, while they were there. Mm.
3: And, and and that was it. And that was and I think what, what Spike gave people a sense of that because you had this tumultuous time. You had this Black Freedom Movement. Then you had America's reaction to a uh, Tommy Jacks, to a uh, to Tommy uh, Smith, a uh, John Carlos. America's reaction to Muhammad Ali. But the same country wanted black folks to hug that flag uh, and swear allegiance to America, but a nation that didn't love them back.
18: Absolutely. And you know it's interesting too because. We did. I didn't know this history. I, you know, all of my cousin uh, was a soldier in the army in the Vietnam War, and he married a Vietnamese woman and brought uh, brought back uh, her and the three kids that they that he fathered with her. Uh, so that was my only experience with knowing what was going on over there. And a lot of soldiers, no matter white or black, have a hard time ex- expressing what that was, that experience was over there. So I didn't really get to hear too many stories. But I had no idea about the black culture over there, and knowing that there was. I think the numbers are 11% of Americans uh in America was uh was what the ratio was and then it was 33% of African American soldiers black soldiers so there was a disproportionate number uh, of black soldiers that we didn't know about I have I had no idea
3: yeah i mean it was in and you know i remember the million man march I remember the the day before the million man march going down to the vietnam uh memorial and and I remember standing there and looking at that wall and then looking down the mall where we were going to be the next day and saying to a friend of mine, I wonder what black America would have looked like if those brothers were not shipped off to Vietnam.
18: Right. It's really interesting that you bring that up because I know a lot of people who uh, are you know, who fight this Black Lives Matter movement or fight Black rights bring up the narrative that, you know, it's about the significance of having the father in the home. And I understand that, of course. That's a, Having that family unit is very strong. But when you take all these young Black men who had just graduated from high school or college and take them over there and they're killed, and then you come back to this... this racist sort of... uh uh uh, I don't want to say society, but this racist, um, just injustice and people are getting, uh, arrested for no reason or getting these sentences that were, uh, lighter sentences for, uh, their white counterparts. Uh, no wonder there was no black father in the home from the 70s to the 80s to the 90s. You know, it, it you cannot say, I mean, th- these statistics are just so off for me, and I want to do more research on, on that.
3: The um, the other thing I thought was was quite interesting is is just uh, the the personal toll these characters had to deal with. Everything wasn't all great, Rosie. Uh, the character of Delroy Lindo, the PTSD, um, the pain uh, Clark Peters was in, uh, even though. You know your character, everything was supposed to be all 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 wonderful and gravy. Uh, you then reveal it's not. Right. Um, I mean, it it it, sh- it showed the complexities. It showed grown men, and what they've had to go through since that experience of being in that jungle together.
18: Right, and also just the fact that we're human. You know, we're showing human stories. Uh, it's not this monolith of of you know these people who are downtrodden and going through all this stuff and living poorly and living ghettos and all this stuff that's real but not everybody's that same way and and you know my character being this fun loving guy but what i you know going actually seeing the film again i forgot about how uh intense intently i was watching norman uh chat with tell us and give us his wisdom and tell us history and and uh try to uplift us and so I was I was really absorbing that, and I was like, I lost that along the way because I was thinking that success was making money and having women and all this fun time, and then I lost all of that. And then I went back to that narrative, especially when I come back to get him and I come back to get the goal. And the fact
3: that Spike also linked that moment, not just being Black in Vietnam, but also that period with Black Lives Matter.
18: Right, right linking
3: right. the past with the present.
18: Well, you know, it's it's interesting that you bring that up because I've had a lot of my uh, white friends, uh, non-black friends, I should say, uh, reach out to me and give me their their support and they love me and they see me and things like that, which is wonderful. One person in particular wanted... He's an artist and wanted to put a sign. He's like, he doesn't feel that the, the term Black Lives Matter uh, really was enough. So he wanted to make a sign that says Black People Matter. And, I, and we were like, dude, that's great. Thank you. Thank you so much. But we've been saying Black Lives Matter for years, for decades. It's just been in different ways, different forms. You coming up with this new term, that's fine. But right now, it is Black Lives. It's not just Black people. Yeah, we know Black people matter. Mm-hmm. But Black Lives Matter. Mm-hmm. And and so... Uh, We thank him for wanting to reach out and making a difference, but listen to what we're saying and and how we're saying it. And now you got people in Japan and Italy and the UK all saying black lives matter all at one time.
3: Because the reality is, I mean, white supremacy is worldwide. I mean, you look at what's happening uh, with African immigrants in European countries. You look at what's happening, I mean, all over the world. Uh, yeah. In Belgium, they're taking down King Leopold's statue uh, because of the number of Congolese who he, who he killed. In, I mean, he killed more... He's responsible for killing more uh, people of African descent in the Congo than Hitler killed Jews in Germany.
18: Yeah, and, and people don't know that. Right. That's the thing. People don't know that history.
3: They don't. They don't. And but, but, Which is also part of the problem, because actually it hasn't been history. It's been his story.
18: It, yeah, exactly.
3: And that's the exactly. case with this as well, because when you th- you look at all of these films done, you look at just you know all of these films, th- you know when Spike did uh, Miracle at St. Anna, it mm-hmm. was a film about black soldiers in World War II. Uh, mm-hmm. On all these other films, yeah, you've had black characters, but you've right. never had a Vietnam era were uh, the epicenter, the nucleus of the storyline.
18: And that's what it was. That is the, that. That's the fact right there. If anybody wants facts, that's the fact right there. You know, I, I just—I'm a little older than you are, so you know, uh, listen to an old man like myself. But I just remember <laughs> when I was in school, I just being uh, in history class. You know, we would study the Pilgrims came over, and then you know there was a few more years, and all of a sudden George Washington was the president, and then all of a sudden we had slaves and Abraham Lincoln freed the slaves, and then it was World War One, and that was it. That was all I remember. And it took Roots. when Roach came out, that's when it was like, oh, wait a minute, back up. There was a, there's some stories here, a vast amount of stories, and we need to kind of relive those and, and understand those and teach our kids that and, you know.
3: Most of your, most of your career has been on the Broadway stage, sure. uh, as opposed to TV or the big screen. Uh, and so, um... what made you want to do this?
18: Well, I got a call from Spike. So the story the story is... Spike called me. We've known each other for a little bit, and seen each other at events, and he's come to see me do shows and stuff. He called me out of the blue, and he said, hey, Norm, what are you doing right now? I said, I'm, you know, nothing. So he said, okay, I'm gonna send you a script. Click. I said, <laughs> okay, so I read the script. And then he called me the next day, he said, what do you think of it? I said, well, man, it's great. I didn't know. Now, in, in this process, I didn't realize he was going to offer me a role. But he said, what do you think of the script? It's great. You know, Spike Lee wants to know my opinion. So I, it's fantastic. I, I, I think these characters are, like, fleshed out and it's a departure for you because, you know, it's it's got a lot of action and gun shooting and things like that. He's like, okay, I want to meet you for dinner. Let's go to dinner. I went to Brooklyn. We had dinner. What do you think of the script? What do you think of these characters? Blah, blah, blah still not knowing anything. And then he said, what do you think about Eddie? I said, yeah, Eddie, blah, blah. And he said, I want to offer you that role. Now, OK. Wow. I figured that was where it was leading. I just didn't know. Inside, I'm jumping up and down like I'm a little schoolboy, you know, <laughs> just found out he's on the football team, a basketball <laughs> team.
3: But you're, but you're, you're cool. trying to play it cool.
18: I'm trying to be cool, like, yo, thanks, man. Thank you. I'm, it's an honor to be working with you.
3: <laughs> so no reading. He, 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 no, did, no. Did, um, I mean, he... But, we did a reading once we got to... Right. Uh, no, but what I mean is, you didn't have to You didn't have to try out for it.
18: No, and and the thing about it was, you know, and, and I'm so grateful for that, but we had worked together, like, a few months before. I did She's Gotta Have It. Okay. And, and uh, I did, a, like, an episode of that. So I have had a, a little experience with him uh, as far as working with him. And I think he just remembered that and uh, the experience with that. And uh, also, I did Porgy and Bess. Uh, on Broadway, and he saw it a few times. And I don't know if you realized how pigeon-toed I was in the movie.
3: <laughs> yes, I did. Yeah, because you talked about it, yeah.
18: <laughs> so he saw that I, I was able to be physical. And because in Porgy and best I was, I had a, 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 a deformed leg. And he, I guess that, re- he remembered that. And yeah, because so-
3: he figured you walk like he does. <laughs> exactly. Mike's <laughs> my man, so I can mess with him like that. It was Please. funny you talk about how he offered you the road, because that's what Sam and Denzel always talk about. He'll call and be like, yeah, so-and-so, click. they kind of like, did he just hang up? Like, he didn't say bye or nothing.
18: Didn't say bye at all. <laughs>
3: <laughs> you know, I, I, one of the things, I, I brought that up because most people, real a large amount of people really got to see you uh, through Scandal playing Edison. Yeah. Uh, and, man, it drove us crazy. Because it was like, man, can Edson get some soul? Can he just, come on, dog? Don't let that sister just treat you that way.
18: You know, <laughs> I, it's funny because, you know, I, I always, my title is, yeah, I'm the guy that that, uh, that Olivia Pope kicked to the side. And that's my claim to fame, you know. But uh, I loved it. i working with Carrie. Carrie saw me uh, do Poor Game Best. And then a few weeks later, I ended up getting the role and she was you know very excited for me and and I uh, and she even told me a funny story her mom i think s- thought wow because she thought that i was actually crippled in four game bans and, and <laughs> so she was like that's so great that they're bringing this handicapped person to play <laughs> to have fun. love interest um but when i got on the set it was uh amazing to work with her she set the tone they were so lucky that you know she was lucky she got the role but they were so lucky to have her they, she was ready to do whatever they needed her to do. She put in her ideas. The entire set, the entire cast and crew, she knew everyone's name. I, I, I just admired uh, how she did it, what she did, and uh, I'm glad that I got a chance to work with her.
3: So when I did Scandal, I was, I, when I did Scandal, I was one of the people who was always tweeting. I, I'm the original gladiator. And so yeah. whenever there were certain things that happened on the screen, uh, I always love, I always love music. So I will come up with these hashtags. Uh, songs for Olivia Pope, songs for Papa Pope. And so I just put the and I realized that I created a hashtag for you. And it was a songs for Edison. Uh, and I guess it was the January 31st episode. It was too funny, because I see uh Sail Away by the Temptations, Songs for Edison. <laughs> holding on to a dying love, hashtag songs for Edison. Uh, then other people start chiming in, uh, and, and they start put, hit the road Jack by Ray Charles, hashtag songs for Edison. Mm. Uh, and it was like, uh, let me like trying to see, was there any, or, any more we dropped out? Uh, and fo- folks were just cracking up, responding to it, and so it was. I was like, "Come on, dog! Come on! Come on!" It, she just yo, dismissed the brother. You
18: know everybody hating on, on Edison. You know, <laughs> come on, man. I was the I was the best thing that she ever had. Now, <laughs> what was interesting was like, why would she go with the president who's married and got like all this stuff around him when she could have, you know, a brother who really wants her and could take care of her? But that's a well, I guess we the show well, would have just ended earlier that.
3: <laughs> well, again, but I, but I still get joy uh, get out of you and Joe Joe uh, uh, Morton going at it. And I'm telling you, I st- look, when, when, look, I missed the show, and I, I I keep the I keep those scenes on my phone when he's like, uh, don't make me angry. I'm, just, I'm telling you, I, I I tell Joe, I said Joe, you kill that, you kill that, and the the two of y'all together was just too much.
18: Well, listen, let's qualify that. We didn't go at each other. Joe came at me.
3: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was a little fierce. He was a little fierce. Well, you did give him a little pushback. <laughs> you gave him a little pushback. Gave him a little pushback. <laughs> this, this, um, do you want to, uh, with this? I mean, obviously, it's airing on Netflix. Uh, we're in a whole different space now in terms of, you know, stuff that's supposed to be on the big screen. They're now driving on digital platforms as well. What else you want to do? Other movies? Other shows? What
18: you want to do? I'm open to anything. You know, I, I, I love this this industry. I love being on TV and film and the skill set that it takes with that. I wouldn't mind directing. Uh, uh, I definitely really? want to start producing and having a, a voice for more uh, people of color and specifically uh, black people to uh, bring their stories to the forefront. And, uh, like, things that, um, that uh, deal with with producing and, and music and and producing uh, writers to come and do stuff on the stage or screen. And uh, I mean, if my love, my love, if I had to choose one, would be live performance. I love to do concerts. I love to do Broadway, because there's nothing like that that visceral live reaction, because you get mm-hmm. energy from that. But uh, you know, I'm open to anything. Well, uh,
3: I asked Clark this, uh, and I said, because it was great watching his character. Was Isaiah the biggest cut-up on set? Oh,
18: man. Isaiah Washington is one of those people. He would come out of the blue, and he's like very, like, it's almost like a stealth bomber. Sometimes he's just kind of like, you think he's asleep, and then he'll come up with some line, and you go, what the actual, what the? I I mean, he
3: had lots of fun, even though this was not a comedy, but he had lots of funny lines
18: in this movie. What's interesting about that is, like, we had a script. And we pretty much stayed with the script. And that's one thing I learned about Spikes. You know, Spike is basically the writer and the editor. He's editing the movie as he's as he's uh, right, right, directing it. But he's everything. And we are we trust that. We trust being in the safety of that. But within that, he gives us flexibility and freedom. And he'll sometimes see an energy that's happening and he'll change it. He'll go, wait a minute, I didn't like that line. And it was a line that he wrote. I didn't like that line. Let me let me change that. Let me let me give you this. Try this. Or he would say, what would Eddie do in this moment? Give me a line. Let's improv this. And a lot of the stuff that you saw was improv uh, with all of us. Um, And (laughs) I guess MVP (laughs) will be Isaiah Whitlock. Isaiah Whitlock,
3: absolutely crazy. Now, uh, so I got to ask you this. So you'll be the third one answering this. So first, um, Clark was like, man, what the hell? Spike had us out here running around shooting guns and like we in war. Delroy said he loved it. All right, your take on it? Because when I saw it, because normally you, when you see movies like this, there's always the flashback scenes, the, the younger character. But but how? And I and I see why he used. It. I see why he used uh, y'all playing it. But but, but did y'all go? Did, did he yeah, actually sure was we'll, yeah. running around shooting guns, acting a fool. We supposed to be older.
18: Oh oh, gotcha, gotcha. Um, <clears throat> let me see. How do I answer this? <laughs> <laughs> yes, I was excited about doing it, at least the idea of doing it. <laughs> but once we got out there, my mind was, I was trying, you know, it's, it's its all about mindset. And it was like, OK. Because it was, on average, about, I would say, 99 degrees. I was sweating watching the movie. Oh, dude, let me just say, like, I think the lowest it ever got there was maybe 94. And then there were times it was 110. Ooh. and And then we were wearing all that gear. And right. then the guns and all this kind of stuff. And I had to carry the camera. That, I, like, I kept asking Spike, really, do I need to carry the camera in this scene? And he's like, yep, yep, yep. And so I, yeah. what was great about that was it added to who we were. And we uh, basically were trying to show what these men went through at that time. And I think that that was actually uh, a, a, another character, the heat, the bugs, all yeah. that kind of stuff, and just the challenges that they had to face. So. I hope that that came across authentically. Oh, know? yeah, no, I was, sweat. I'm like,
3: damn. I'm like, I'm
18: from Houston, but damn. And, and and we're talking about, we ain't talking about, like, dry heat, like, in California. We're talking
3: about. Oh, I, I'm from Houston. I'm talking about 95% humidity uh, and it being hot and, and sticky.
18: Yeah. Oh. And let me add this too, like the bug situation that we had to deal with. You know, we put on the repellent and stuff, but they were like, I don't care. We're gonna <laughs> land on you anyway. The bug's
3: like, repellent. This ain't yeah. repelling nothing.
18: <laughs> <laughs> and and I don't know if you did they talk about the pollution that was there. Uh-huh. So Thailand is known for it's against the law to burn trash and burn crops and stuff, but they people do it anyway. And all of that smoke and that filth will come into like the city. So what is normally, uh, uh, I guess, acceptable for human uh, for human beings is 50. The number is 50 and below. I think the lowest it ever got was 150. Oh, there, there was a time that it was up 500. So we had to wear masks and and all that stuff until we got to our scenes. Like we wear a mask, and then when we did our scenes, we would take it off and do our stuff. But, and then, wow. I mean, not the, I'm not complaining, Spike. I swear to God, I'm not complaining, but. You know, on top of that, I had to be pigeon toed and I'm running up and down terrain. Right, right. <laughs> a football field. And we had we had stunt doubles, but, you know, we didn't. It was like, well, let's see if we can make it without doing, you know, working. <laughs> it was like, damn. <laughs> it was
3: like, can I run with some straight legs, please? <laughs> no, it, it, I mean, it was, I, I, again, I just think that um, the. The complexity of, of of these brothers, as we said earlier, is, is rarely seen. Um, and I, I just think that, that that was really what what jumped out at me because, you know, there are a lot of movies out there where you have younger brothers who are mm-hmm. operas. I, I, again, I think about the movie The Wood. I think about right. the movie Brothers. I think about some other ones. Um, I think about Juice. Um, but, but to have a film where you see that camaraderie, that love, the affection, the pain, the agony uh, of, of these older brothers, uh, you know, when they get together, was just, was just, is it, it, is just different that we just don't see four for black men uh, uniting that way.
18: Yeah, yeah, you know, and it, Spike is always someone who is making sure that we have our black issues brought to the forefront, mm-hmm. and whether that be yeah, bad, you know, issues that are challenging or issues that are just trying to prove that we are humans. And, and this is showing our humanity and showing that these four four men loved each other and went through something very significant and will never, ever let uh, live that down.
3: Well, I certainly hope uh, that people will enjoy uh, seeing a movie with Vietnam uh, as the center of it that features African Americans. It is a story that uh, has not... Uh, been told uh, just like so many other stories as well, uh, and uh, yeah, it, it is. Uh, it, it's highly emotional, especially when you talk about that PTSD. Uh, and yeah, the trauma absolutely.
18: And, and uh, you know, thank you, Spike. Uh, you know, I'm saying publicly, thank you, Spike, for allowing me to be a part of this journey. And uh, I cannot wait for America to see this thing. And it's interesting. I feel like being that, even though we're not in the movie theaters, I feel like it's going to make more uh, a significant. Uh, uh, mark on history because it's happening at this time in people's homes. So I'm glad about that.
3: The Five Bloods, Norm Lewis. We appreciate it, man. Thank you so very much.
18: So, my I, listen, I'm a big fan, brother. I love you so much. We need you. Keep the keep up the fight, bro.
3: Will do. I appreciate it. Thanks a lot.
2: with with Zumo Play.